going down, the band is back there. Actually, they already ahead because they got to be on stage already. We got the whole seven, eight-piece band. It's going to be bananas. Come check the show. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be crazy. Madison Square Garden. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I feel we got some real women up in here. It's 
very exciting. It's my first tour. I'm on the road with Maxwell, and um, you know we're doing uh, we're doing a lot of cities. We're doing the we're living the bus life, <laughs> which is the life for me. <laughs> I'm having a great time. I really am. I'm extremely excited. Who doesn't dream about performing in Madison Square Garden? I keep on falling. I feel like when I'm on stage, like I belong there, that that's where I'm supposed to be. I love the piano, but at the same time, being young, you battle with uh, wanting to play and wanting to hang out, and everybody else doesn't have to do it, so why do I have to spend two hours practicing? My musical memories are everything from uh, Biggie and Tupac to um, Beethoven and Chopin, being that I studied that when I was young. And my biggest musical memory is Marvin Gaye. in like girl bands and girl groups. I had some, some friends of mine, um, some girlfriends of mine that were like my older sisters, and they had a group. So they were like, you know, it would be so cool if you were like the young one of our group. That was my first group experience, and I just never stopped it. Some people think that I just popped up on the scene, but for me personally, I, I did have to battle a lot of um, people just allowing me to be an individual. We got guitar, Artie White, drums, Paul, three phenomenal background singers, Michelle Matlock, L Green, and Tika, and me on the keys, live and direct, right here. You see this? This is it right here, okay? Good music is good music, no matter where it comes from, and, and, and I think people always want to hear good music. Thank you, Flavor. Uh, we had a ball. I'm happy you came and saw the show. Alicia Keys, Flavor. <laughs> Welcome once again to another edition of the Legends of Sports and Music. This is your host, the original great Rob Silver, and today we take a look at one of my favorite artists of the last 25 years of the 21st century. I mean, from 2001 to 2013, she had a phenomenal run. Now, now the last decade, she's she hasn't experienced as great a success as she's had the first 12 years of her career from well not really her career but from when she was with j records first 2001 with her debut album 
songs in A minor. And of course, I'm talking about the legendary New York City Hell's Kitchen Zone, Alicia Keys. From 2001 to 2013, she had an incredible run. And we'll be looking at that run. I'm not going to be looking at anything since 2013 because, as I'll mention later on in the podcast, there was a switch in uh, creative partners that caused her music to no longer have the same type of substance, the same type type of quality as the first 12 years of her career. Um, she's still talented. She's still an amazing songwriter and singer. And I'm hoping eventually she can overcome her husband's flaws as a horrible R&B producer and take reins on her own. But that'll be a discussion we talk about later on the podcast. Today, let's talk about the beginnings of Alicia Ogello Cook's career. Alicia Keys grew up in the Hell's Kitchen section of New York. And for those of you not famously known for uh, your knowledge of the neighborhoods of New York City, Hell's Kitchen is located between Times Square and 50th Street. We're talking 42nd Street and 50th Street. Past, we're talking 8th Avenue and beyond towards the West Side Highway. Um, I believe the building she grew up in because, uh, or one of the buildings she grew up in because um, the courier service I manage right now delivers to those buildings and they told one of my couriers, oh, Alicia Keys used to live in this building. I'm trying to remember, what's the name? What's the address of that building? It could be 400 West 43rd Street or... uh, 500 West 43rd Street, but it her the building she grew up in, I believe, is on 43rd Street, located between 9th and 10th Avenue, Hell's Kitchen. And today, those buildings are still uh, up. They were never renovated. They were never shut down. Those buildings are rent-controlled, and those buildings have a lot of uh, artists and elderly people living in those buildings. And that neighborhood looks a thousand times better than when Alicia Keys grew up. Alicia Keys was born January 25th, 1980 or 81. No, 1981. She was born January 25th, 1981. And so when she was a little girl, because she was born in that building, she would have been growing up during a time where crack and alcohol and homelessness was destroying that neighborhood. Ladies and gentlemen, all of Midtown Manhattan and Hell's Kitchen is part of Midtown Manhattan is not glorious, has not always been glamorous. Hell, even today, there are parts of Manhattan, and I'm talking about in the 20s and 30s, between, you can say, between 2nd Avenue and 6th Avenue that are ravaged with homelessness, drug abuse, a dude selling drugs and marijuana illegally, people living in the streets. All of New York City, well, not all, we're not talking the five boroughs. All of Manhattan, especially between 14th Street and 
59th Street. It's not glamorous. Hell, I live in Harlem. And if you ever go to 125th Street and walk between Lexington Avenue and Lenox Avenue, any time of the day, whether it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon or 2 o'clock in the morning, you see the Night of the Living Dead. Zombies. And when I mean zombies, real-life zombies, dudes smoking crack, cane, uh, what's that, K2, shooting up heroin, trying to sell any little thing on the street, begging for money. 125th Street is filled with characters like that all day, all night. Prostitution still by the Metro North between Park and Madison Avenue on 125th Street. That's how Hell's Kitchen used to look in the 1980s and early 90s before Times Square and Hell's Kitchen was revitalized, rejuvenated, rehabilitated, restructured. First with David Dinkins as mayor, and then after Dinkins' loss to that bitch-ass, bitch-ass, punk-ass, evil-ass, devil motherfucker Rudy Giuliani. A deal was struck with Disney and other corporations, and Times Square and Hell's Kitchen began a huge upheaval. And the neighbor, those neighborhoods, and we're talking Times Square, Hell's Kitchen, and further up, we're talking between 42nd Street and 59th Street, between 5th Avenue all the way to the West Side Highway, all right? Those neighborhoods do not look the same. Today, what used to be prostitution between 42nd and 50th Street by the West Side Highway has been has been taken out and has been repackaged, and you have a whole bunch of high-rise million-dollar skyscrapers, million-dollar, well, not skyscrapers, million-dollar Big tower buildings, rental properties, condos. Gone are the days of the, what you call it, the, the, the peak shows, the porno theaters, prostitution. But when Alicia was growing up as a little girl in the 1980s, and then as a preteen, and then as a teenager in the 1990s, she had to walk to school, walking past prostitutes, walking past crackheads. And this while being the, the, the mother of a single white woman. I mean, the daughter of a single white woman, a single Italian woman, her mother, who uh, raised her after her and Alicia's father broke up when Alicia's mother, when Alicia Keys was two years old. Alicia Keys was first seen by people, and we didn't know who she was. You guys remember The Cosby Show, the most popular show of the 1980s, number one show of the 1980s. Well, in 1985, there was an episode in which Rudy Huxtable, Cliff and Claire's youngest daughter, had a slumber party. And during that slumber party, Bill Cosby was giving all the little kids a ride on his on his knee. And I used to do this with girlfriends. Uh, when I would go over to a girlfriend's house, I did this with my 
New Orleans girlfriend, Tracy. I did this with other, when I was 19, no, I was 20, 21 years old. I did this with Antoinette's uh, younger nephew, my ex-girlfriend, Antoinette. Um, heck, I've done this as recently as a few months ago with my girlfriend Mia's uh, daughter, Nori, where I take my knee and I tell them to hop up on, on my knee and I have them ride my knee like a horse and I pick them up and they're, they're having a ride. In that, this episode that Alicia Keys um, appeared on, Bill Cosby was giving all these kids, including Alicia Keys, who at the time was four years old when she filmed this episode, a ride on his knee. And the episode was funny because there was this obese white kid that wanted a ride, and Bill looked at him with that funny face, and Heathcliff Huxtable, a.k.a. Bill Cosby, was like, was like uh-uh. And that boy didn't get a ride. <laughs> but unbeknownst to us, we didn't know who that was. Not until years later. Not until, I don't, I don't recall hearing about this until 2002, 2003, when Alicia Keys brought it up in an interview after her explosive freshman year as a member of J Records, Clive Davis. We'll go into that in a minute. Alicia Keys was discovered at the age of 13 in Harlem by her future and first manager, Jeff Robinson. And from there, Jeff Robinson was able to get her a deal with Columbia Records. Now, Columbia Records dropped the ball on Alicia Keys. They wanted her to be more like a more like a Mariah Carey. They wanted her to be dressing up sexy and looking glamorous. But when they signed her, she was 13 years old. She was 15 when she started working on her first album. You can't do that. Now, I'm about to say something controversial. Matter of fact, you know what? I'm going to save it for the next segment. Let me backtrack. Um, Alicia Keys had no success on Columbia Records. She had a couple of songs come out on Columbia Records. She had a Christmas song, I think Little Drummer Girl, that came out on the So 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 Dev Christmas album. And she had a song that came out on the first Men in Black soundtrack in 1997. No hits. No hits. And then in 2000, she signed with the new record label, J Records. Clive Davis knows female talent. He discovered Whitney Houston when he was in charge of Arista Records. He saw a generational talent in Alicia Keys. And ladies and gentlemen, Clive Davis is one of the greatest, greatest evaluators of female singers in the history of music. He signed Alicia Keys, and her and her longtime partner, and what I didn't know, well, we didn't know until years later, her boyfriend, Carrie Crucial Brothers, as Crucial Keys, the comp, the songwriting and producing combination of Alicia Keys and Carrie Brothers put together songs in A minor. And I played Fallen at the very beginning of this podcast. You heard an interview with her at Master Square Garden. And ladies and gentlemen, this was one of the first times I saw Alicia Keys. I saw Alicia Keys 
twice in the summer of 2001. Alicia Keys opened for Maxwell, and they had a seven-day, seven shows and seven nights concert in New York City. This was Maxwell at the height of his popularity. And Maxwell, fellow New Yorker, gave Alicia Keys the opportunity of a lifetime by having her open for him on his nationwide tour. And what perfect way for her to begin that tour was on the seven-day tour in New York City in which they played seven venues and Alicia Keys would open and Maxwell would close. Now, at this point in time, Alicia Keys was 20 years old. I went to I went to see her twice during that seven nights uh, at Roseland, famous club in Midtown Manhattan, and the theater at Madison Square Garden, which is now known as the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden. On both shows sold out. Roseland, the 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 girl I took, the girl, the woman I took. At this point in time, I was 33. The woman I took was 25. Uh, Guyanese chick. Matter of fact, I forgot her name. I forgot this young lady's name. It was a one. It, uh, I took her on two dates. She wasn't one of the women that I steadily dated. I took her out on two dates. She was a great music fan. Beautiful girl. Uh, and yes, we were intimate from time to time. We went on. We only went out on two dates, but we uh, got together <laughs> without going out, if you know what I mean. But uh, we uh, we saw two concerts. The first time I was took her to a concert. Well, matter of fact, both both times I took her to a concert was a Maxwell concert. Nineteen ninety nine, I took her to see Maxwell. I can't believe I forgot this woman's name. Early signs of dementia. I took her to see Maxwell in September of nineteen ninety nine, and I took her again to the Roseland. Um, a ballroom in 2001 and then for the first time in 2001 i took out a woman that i would date for four years uh nika i took nika and then if you guys have listened to my podcast in the past a young nika was a spitting image of a young trina the rapper same built same face same leg same everything beautiful beautiful young woman Nika was also 25 at the time. I was 33 in 2001. Um, what Nika and I forgot why well, I forgot that woman's name. What was that young woman's name? I totally forgot. Anyway, when Alicia Keys opened for Maxwell both nights, both Nika and the previous woman I took out when Alicia Keys came on stage were blown away by Alicia Keys' legs. She was like, look at those legs. And I love muscular legs. And I and Alicia Keys had great hips, muscular legs, and a very pretty face. And I'm like, she didn't look 20. Alicia Keys looked much older, and she was built much older than what she proclaimed their age to be. There could be a discrepancy with age, ladies and gentlemen, because she graduated. She claimed she was 16 when she graduated from high school and, and got a scholarship to Columbia University. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Knowing the history of the New York City public school system, because I was a graduate of the New York City public school system. I don't know about her being 16. That means she would have graduated in 
1997. That means she would have started high school at the age of 12. Nah, I don't I don't think so, ladies and gentlemen. But you know what? Who who am I to judge? Um, I think Alicia Keys lied about her age by a couple of years, but that's my opinion. I'll leave it alone. And when I first saw, I said, This this, this is not a 20-year-old, but 20, 22, whatever the fact, she was this beautiful, sexy, talented woman that I saw on stage those first two nights. And I, after both performances, I told both women, both on both occasions, both my dates, she's going to be a huge star. And I, I'm no Nostradamus, but you know what? You could see that a mile away. We're going to talk more about her career, about her first year, about her phenomenal uh, Grammy Awards in 2002. Um, first, we're going to play another interview, and then we're going to hear the song Goodbye and Butterflies. And we come back, we'll talk more about the incredible rookie year of the legendary Alicia Keys. Alicia Keys is just 21 years old, but tonight she could walk away with six Grammy Awards. Mark's in L.A. with that. It's going to be a big night, huh, Mark? Yes, it is. I'm very impressed with young Alicia Keys. She is not only talented, but she seems to have it all together to handle the talent. Her album Songs in a Minor, or Songs in a Minor, came out seven months ago. It is vying tonight for record and song of the year. Congratulations. Wow, thank you. Thank you very much. This many. <laughs> Six Grammy nominations. Six. One. None. Cool. Six. <laughs> Six. You're performing this year. Yes, I am. In fact, I just came from the rehearsal and I'm on the stage and I'm just looking at um, you know, what we're gonna do and uh, I kind of got a little, like, emotional. I was like, man! <laughs> I'm just really, you know, it's, it's, it's such an honor to, to um, have put in so much time and effort and really just do something from your heart and soul and, and, and for it to come back to you in the sense that you can see it and say, here I am and here I'm going to keep on striving to get better. So. It's really good, really cool. I like asking people when you put so much work into this CD and then you hear Fallen on the radio coming out of your radio in your car, what's that like? There's no other experience like that. I mean, even to this day, if I hear Fallen on the radio, if I hear A Woman's Worth on the radio, you know, I say, who's that? <laughs> and it's really, you know, it's just, I, I'm not used to it quite yeah. yet, you know, and it's, but I, but I feel good about it. And I say, you know what? That song belongs on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> like that. I'm going to put you on the spot. Would you play a little bit of that for me? Paula? Yeah, just a little bit yeah. for me. Should I sing it to Yeah, please. Oh, all right. Okay. Falling in 
song before we saw this song. You saw it in pieces before we saw it put together. Did you think when it all got together it would do what it has done? I have to be honest. I mean, I always felt something. You know, it was definitely truth that came from that song, from God to me. And um, so I definitely always felt that. And whenever I played it for people, they somehow felt it too. So I always felt a good thing about it, but never <laughs> in a million years. You know, I have to, you know, what I have thought that, that fallen, I mean, I say it all the time, who the thunk it? Who the thunk? And you have to say thunk. That's it. <laughs> that fallen, when I'm in, I w went to Paris and Italy and, and people that don't even speak the same language as me are singing the song. And I'm like, oh man, it's, <laughs> it's crazy, but it's so wonderful. It's really exciting. Win, lose, or draw, mm -hmm. Grammy night, mm -hmm. you're there. I'm there. And you got, you're not outside looking, you got a ticket inside. Man, I'm going to be there. <laughs> what do you think is going to be going through your head as you look out at, at your peers out there? Well, when I perform? Yeah. I don't know. I'm probably just going to be looking out and with a little big smile on my face and just reflecting on how I'm... How much I'm going to just do my best out there. We're going to have a good time. <laughs> we really are. You're going to have fun. Watch this one. <laughs> I'm going to ask you again. Can you take us out a little bit with a woman's work? Just a little bit of that? No? Hey, look at, look at it all playing all along. <laughs> hey, I'm You sitting. know what you can do. You could buy me diamonds. You could buy me pearls. Take me on a cruise You know you're worth it. <laughs> you know you're worth it. Thank you, sweetness. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you. <laughs> yeah, don't forget the Grammys tonight, 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock Central, right here on uh, CBS. Hey, Jane, hey. who to thunk it? How... And you gotta say thunk. <laughs> How cool is that? A front row seat with Alicia Keys. Let wow. me tell you, I've interviewed a lot of people. She's right up there at the top of my favorite interviews. We had a ball, and I wish her all the best tonight. Yeah, she's a big competition tonight, that's for sure. Such a big night. Yeah. We're all going to a lot of bleary eyes tonight. Yeah. Man, we'll check in with you tomorrow, yeah. Mark. Okay. All right. Should be nice. Um, also tomorrow, besides our backstage pass to the Grammys, our friend Bobby Flay is going to be along here. Shrimp and grits. Mm-hmm. But he's adding cheese, I think. Well, for me. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Bye. Hi, I'm Sean. I'm Jeff. And I'm Super Kitty. Super Colby! We're here at The Zone in Sacramento, California. And every morning before the mayhem begins, we wake up to what's happening on The Early Show on CBS. to take it back a little bit and I didn't want to go throughout this unplugged and not do certain songs like this one
Welcome to the uh, Blackberry Secret Session with Miss Alicia Keys. Now, most of you probably know that uh, she's a Grammy Award-winning artist. Uh, she sold millions of albums. She's an actress, a philanthropist. Um, you know, I guess really we could say she's a Renaissance woman in, in, in some respects, right? So I think let's uh, bring her on stage. What do you think? Let's get this going. Greetings. Nice to see you. Alicia Keys. Hi. Thank you. How now, are you? Hi. I mean, you know, you probably started out this way, but now you do these giant shows. and. But this is still my favorite. Yeah. You know, I think, I think we should sit. You, you want to sit? You sit there. You know, you you've been... Sit? I have to stand here on my mark. All right, okay. But you can sit down, and I can look at you. See this? All right. I got to stay there. I should have never worn these shoes. I knew it. Thank you for understanding. Yes, indeed. We're all, it's a very forgiving audience. Very forgiving. Well, I think it's time to play a little music. All right. All right. What do you think? All right. I'll just make a quick exit here. Thank you, here. Dusty. What a cool name that is, right? Oh, man. So, did y'all have a good time tonight? <laughs> Yay, thank you so much. It was such a cool vibe and everything. I was loving it. So, um, I was trying to think of, like, what we should play. And I came up with a couple things. <laughs> I came up with a couple things we could play. And the first one is one that people ask me to play a lot, and I don't get a chance to play it. <laughs> 
I figured this was the perfect time. Now, hopefully my memory won't forget the whole song. If it does, hey, whatever. All right, so. You know what it is? Good. Off the strength of the first single, Fallen, 
Alicia's debut album, Songs in A Minor, that came out in the summer of 2001, got off to a blazing hot start. And then, of course, she had the national tour opening for Maxwell. And then after Falling, you had songs like the ones I just played, Goodbye and The Life, and several songs. That album, Songs in A Minor, is a perfect, flawless album. I could have done an entire podcast just on that album alone, but I wanted to play live versions of several of her hits. And not every song on A minor is available live. And plus, I wanted to talk about Alicia Keys' entire career, not just her rookie year, her debut album. She was on fire, and her face was everywhere. And she was a Madison Avenue dream. And when when people ask, what does Rob Silver mean by Madison Avenue? That's an old term. They say that if you look the part, Madison Avenue can sell you because Madison Avenue has always been the home of the major advertising firms in New York City. Madison Avenue sees you. If Madison Avenue is offering you uh, endorsements or uh, other deals to further your career, it's because you have that look, you have that talent. Alicia Keys had the beauty, had the smile, had the talent. Not only that, she was a great pianist, could sing her ass off, and live, she was true. For a woman that, a young woman, 21 years old, 20 years old when I first saw her concert, 21 when I saw her again in early 2002, I took Nika again to see her at Radio City Music Hall. She played that entire album flawlessly. Ladies and gentlemen, the best two concerts I ever saw live of an artist that only had one album was Jill Scott, March of 2001, Radio City Music Hall, and Alicia Keys, February 2002, at Madison, no, not Madison Square, Radio City Music Hall. Both shows were at Radio City Music Hall, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Radio City Music Hall, for those not from New York, those not in the know, is the most famous concert venue, small concert venue in Manhattan, in New York City. The most famous concert venue, of course, is Madison Square Garden. But then you have small venues like the Beacon Theater, Upper West Side of Manhattan, or Radio City Music Hall, which is just a few blocks away from where Alicia Keys grew up. Um, Radio City Music Hall being on 50th Street and Rockefeller Center. Right next door to 30 Rock, the home of NBC Universal, of NBC Television, of the Peacock. The Peacock, Comcast, etc. It's amazing. You know you have a great album when you can do an entire, when you can tour just on that one album. Um, Another example would have been Mary J. Blige with My Life. SWV with It's About Time. All these great artists. Lauryn Hill. Lauryn Hill also another great, man, three of the greatest concerts ever by a female I ever saw were women who uh, led a tour 
headline the tour off of just one album and play that entire album. Alicia Keys, 2002, Songs in A Minor. Jill Scott, Volume 1, Words, uh, 2001. And 1999, Lauren Hill, The Miseducation Lauren Hill. All three women only performed that album because they had, well, you know, Lauren, Lauren did have stuff with the Fugees, but she didn't fuck with it on her tour. She sung all her songs from The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. They could do that because those albums are classics. Those albums are timeless albums that could last the test of time. And this segues into the Grammys for 2002. At the 1999 Grammys, Lauren Hill won seven Grammys, a record for a female. Seven Grammys that year. Up until that point, the most acclaimed female at a single Grammys that I could remember, that I could recall, was in 1992 when Natalie Cole won three Grammys in a phenomenal, I mean, she just had a phenomenal year, 91 and 92 Natalie Cole. You had Lauryn Hill in 1999 with seven. Well, Alicia Keys in 2002 won six Grammys, one short of Lauryn Hill's record seven Grammys. In 2001, we didn't know that Lauryn Hill had given up basically on, on making new music. She would never make another studio album. Despite her 1998 debut solo album being one of the greatest soul albums of my lifetime, she never made another one. Who knew that in 2001, Alicia Keys would be her replacement? Not to say that she was her replacement on purpose, but in the eyes of many soul music fans, Lauren Hill disappeared. And here comes Alicia Keys to pick up that void. Alicia Keys not only came out after Lauren Hill had all but disappeared, Alicia Keys came out and her album debuted just a few weeks before Aaliyah's tragic death. So we had the mysterious disappearance of Lauren Hill. We didn't know what was going on with her personal life. And for more about what was going on with Lauren, check out my Lauren Hill tribute podcast here on the Legends of Sports and Music. It's on this platform. One of my highest rated episodes ever. A very detailed and uh, emotional episode on Lauren Hill, the miseducation of Lauren Hill album. Check that out. Um, but you had Lauren disappear. You had Aaliyah die. And I also, ladies and gentlemen, I have a tribute podcast chronicling the entire career of Aaliyah. It's basically called Aaliyah. You can check uh, that out here on the Life and Time, on the Legend of Sports and Music. But um, so Alicia Key, Alicia Keys came out right at the right time, and then you had. In the early 2000s, you had these incredible singers come all come out at the same time. Jill Scott, uh, late 90s, you had Erica Badu. You had Jill Scott, 2000, 2001, Alicia Keys, 2001. Beyonce went solo. And then, of course, in the mid-2000s, you had Rihanna. You had Sierra. And then, a few, and then you had Keisha Cole. So you had this new wave of talented 
female singers, and all of them beautiful too, attractive and talented. And in my opinion, that was the last great era of rhythm and rhythm and blues, soul music. Uh, today, there are a lot of great artists out there. They just don't get. They just don't have the platform to uh, have their music played. I've said this over and over again. Urban radio is dead. You don't have the radio stations that I grew up with, with like the Hot 90, fuck Hot 97, the Kiss FMs, the WBLSs. No, you have radio stations like Hot 97 and Power 105 in New York that play bastardized, demonic hip-hop that exploits our young people and that music and those radio stations are controlled by media corporations that want to see the destruction of black and brown children, of black and brown teenagers, of black and brown young men. So they promote the nihilistic demon music that they play on the radio 24-7. But there are a lot of great young artists out there, or a lot of great artists, period, that... um time and time and time again put out great music and they don't have the same platform that these garbage ass rappers have you know sexy red glorilla can get all the uh airtime they want doja cat they get all the the, the airtime they want on radio but you don't have radio time for a seven streeter Tremendous artists, okay? Ari Lennox, tremendous artists. Only her and Ella May and Janae Aiko were getting any real radio play before I stopped listening to the trash radio a few years back. I don't know who gets play now. Thank God that my lady has a serious FM station that plays nothing but today's R&B and soul, and I get to hear the hers, the Janae Echoes, the Scissors, and that's, you know, they play it on a constant rotation, but you got to pay extra for it. Satellite radio. Free radio gives you trash, unfortunately. Well, my show is free, and I don't give you trash. 2002 Grammy Awards, Alicia Keys was on fire and out of the seven awards she was nominated she won six um record of the year no no she lost record of the year she won album of the year i believe song of the year she r&b song of the year she just was every it's like every 10 minutes she was up there with that infectious smile and laugh and you saw a star a star was born and i'm sitting there watching the Grammys with Nika and my uh, nine-year-old son Peter at the time, and we all we all knew that she was going to go on an amazing run, and that run would last another decade. When we come back, we will talk about. Well, let me make sure I'm correct here. Yeah, you're going to hear another. Let me see. We we're going we're going to hear another interview. Then we're going to hear her incredible uh, song, How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore. And then I'm going to finish up about her 
first couple of years before she did her second album. We'll talk all about it on the other side. Yes, yes, I mean, oh my goodness. Let me just begin. There are many kings. King Henry VIII, King Solomon, King Tut, King James, King Kong. <laughs> the three kings, but there is only one prince. Only one man who has defied restriction, who's defied the obvi obvious and all the rules to the game. A mysterious figure who in a river of words will not suffice, can only be identified by a symbol. <laughs> Whose music is like an internal roller coaster that takes each individual on their own separate legendary ride and still takes listen after listen to discover and uncover even half of the story behind the intriguing and unapologetically addictive beat of music. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there is only one prince. <laughs> There's only one man who is so loud he makes you soft, so strong he makes you weak, so honest you feel kind of bashful, <laughs> so bold he defies you to be subtle, and so super bad he makes you feel so super good. <laughs> He's the only man that I've ever seen that lights a stage on fire, leaving you to burn within it in a frenzy of movement, lights, electric guitars, slides, pianos, dances, voices, splits, <laughs> and songs. Oh my God. Songs so powerful that you are forever changed. Songs that make you laugh and cry, think and dance. Songs that made me look at songwriting as stories that are untold passions dying to be heard. Because of him, I've never wanted to be like anyone else but myself. And because of his music, my music has wings to be different. He is the inspiration that generations will return to until the end of time. So yes, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Throughout history, there have been many, many kings, both real and mythological. They have born sons, but none of them can touch the rays from this man who stands alone. A man that I am tremendously proud and honored to help induct into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame tonight because now it is forever changed. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to get on your feet and I want you to pay homage to the one and only Prince. Travis, I watched the flowers grow from the Invisible Band LP. Later on in the programme, they'll be doing a rather unusual cover if, uh, that will surprise a lot of people and give a great deal of pleasure as well. Now, I'm delighted because I'm going to have a chat with somebody that's incredibly talented. That's the only way, that's the only description I can think of. Please welcome Alicia Keys. Welcome to the show, Alicia. Yeah, thank you. 
sounded great earlier. Band is sounding top of the top of the range. Everything's marvellous. But I'd like to go right back to the beginning. When did you first start uh, playing the piano? Oh, I first started playing when I was seven. I begged and begged my mother to play every every piano I passed by. I wanted to play it, or to touch it, or to practice a song I heard on the radio. Yeah. Anything. What sort of songs were you listening to? Did you like At the... seven, I can't even remember. Yeah. Probably nothing too good. But what, okay. what, what was the first? Now you've got a brilliant touch on the piano. You really have got a great touch. Thank you. What sort of? Um, what was? The, did you study classical music? Yes, I studied classical for 13 years, and I still play it at all of my shows. Really? Could mm -hmm. you give us a little, a little, little bit of something? Little, little, little taste of. Little taste of something. Yeah. I, I tend to like. Pardon my beads. They always hit the mic. Mm -hmm. I tend to like very deep. sitting at home, that's the first time we've ever had a piece of Beethoven, and let's face it, he is a household name, on this show. Alicia has done that, that is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> that is amazing. Now, um, I know now you, your record's been a, a huge hit, number one in America, um, and there are a lot of uh, record companies desperate to sign you up. How did you decide which one you, to, to go with? Well, I mean, um Initially, I signed with one record company, um, thinking that that was the perfect thing for me, but it turned out not to be the perfect thing for me um, because they didn't quite allow me to do the music that I felt and wanted to do. So um, my manager and I, Jeff Robinson, went to go and just start to play the music that we had and that I was writing and producing for some people. And it so happened that we came across Mr. Clive Davis, and he was just very interested in allowing me to be an individual. Is it true that he sent you a piano? No, but the first one, the first, that's one of the reasons why I signed. So oh. don't ever sign for instruments. Oh, right, because they sent you and said, have a piano. Yeah, yeah. sign there. <laughs> You're in love with the piano, that's right. And the piano is what was number in. Now, um, you know, being a number one artist, it obviously keeps you very, very busy. Do you have any time for any hobbies or any romance? Any hobbies or romance? I mean, I think you can always make time for some romance. Yeah. Hobbies, another no. question. I agree with you. <laughs> yes. What a wise young woman you are. Um, now, the next song, tell us about the next song that you're going to be the, doing for us. The next song that yeah. we're going to do. We're going to be doing. We're so going excited. to do. It we are going to do it all together, that's right. The next song is one of my favorite songs. It's a cover of a Prince song called How Come You Don't Call Me. Mm -hmm. It was like a B side, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to do it. I wanted to do it because I fell madly in love with it the minute I heard it. And I wanted to just give it a go. Well, I'm so looking forward to it. Let's give it a go. We, in a moment, we will. <laughs> Alicia Keys, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Come on the Come for a drink later. Marvellous. Incredible. Incredible. Give me a minute. This programme is full of extraordinary stars. The next man is a great new star in the world of chloroplane.
Telephone. So then, <laughs> tell me, why on earth can't you just pick up the phone? You know I don't like to be alone singing. Don't call me. Why he wanna torture me? Y'all ready? I began this segment with the 2004 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction of Prince in which Alicia Keys introduced Prince with an amazing, amazing introduction. Um, I'm not sure if Prince was the one that wanted Alicia Keys and Outkast to induct him. But in, in 2004, when Prince, who was undoubtedly the star of the 2004 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the biggest star that year to go in, he wanted to have two of the biggest stars, I believe, two of the biggest acts in the music industry that embodied the spirit of Prince. Outkast came out just come out and was just destroying the world with their double album that was a massive hit and of course remember uh andre 3000 had that incredible song hey y'all which was an ode to old rock and rollers from the 1960s the video was like an ed sullivan takeoff and 
you saw now that Andre 3000, and you see it even more today, but back in 2003, 2004, 2005, when Outkast was completely on top of the world, you saw the influence of uh, icons like Sly Stone, Jimi Hendrix, and of course Prince in Andre's burgeoning music style as if you remember the double cd was split into two one side was music in which andre was singing and um, doing a lot of um exploratory music and the other the other disc was hip-hop what was it the love below speaker box great concept one of the greatest concept CDs, concept albums in hip hop history. And ladies and gentlemen, when you do something that great and it captures the masses, the general public, the majority of the United States slash the world in terms of listening to music's attention, it will explode. And then of course you had Alicia Keys who had a massive hit just recently, just prior to that rock and roll hall of fame, with a cover of Prince's How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore, in which she did a magnificent job. Magnificent job. And I remember watching an interview with Alicia around that time in which she mentioned how nervous she was when she called Prince and asked Prince for permission to uh, cover that song. He then invited her to Paisley Park, and he... And I remember her saying that when she first visited Paisley Park, and this was right before he agreed to give her permission to cover his classic, that he told her, all right, before I take you through here, I need you to, uh, I need you to uh, promise that you won't curse. And Alicia laughed because she says, that's all I do is curse. <laughs> But you could tell that Prince took a liking to the young woman and she saw in that young woman massive talent. Prince, throughout his lifetime, well, throughout the years that he was on top, the years that he was one of the greatest, if not the greatest musician that ever lived, would see talent immediately, could tell if you were talented. I remember years ago, I forget, matter of fact, it was around this time of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It probably was 2004, the 2004 Grammys. Prince did a set with Beyonce, and he talked later about how she is going to be the next super force in music. He was right. Uh, before he died, he wrote a, he wrote a, he started writing his autobiography. Uh, I totally uh, recommend you guys go get it. Um, he only worked on it six to eight months before he passed away. And so the writer that he was working with the book on finished writing, went through Prince's notes and finished writing. But one of the conversations Prince had with the author was about today's musical geniuses. Now this conversation would have happened in 
2000, late 2014, early 2015. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking a decade ago. And at that time, Prince said he thought that there were two phenomenal musical geniuses at that time. Lenny Kravitz, who, like himself, Prince says, like himself, is a uh, alpha alpha male, an alpha entertainer, because he writes and plays all his instruments like himself. And then as far as hip-hop goes, he mentioned Kanye West. He said Kanye West was a musical genius. Now, it's going to be a great segue because the next segment, after I finish this segment, will be Kanye West on 106 Park talking to Alicia Keys and the audience about working on You Don't Know My Name, one of the greatest songs of the 21st century, a song in which Kanye, Kerry, Crucial Crucial Brothers, and Alicia Keys co-wrote and produced. Um, And I still have to talk about Kerry, Crucial Brothers, and I will eventually talk about Kerry Brothers because he was super, super important in Alicia's career. And I also have thoughts about their relationship. Matter of fact, I promise on the next segment, I will cover that after we talk about uh, You Don't Know My Name. Anyway, so back to 2004, Alicia Keys, and I played the speech at the beginning of the segment, gave a phenomenal introduction of Prince. Real quick, I want to repeat, you heard it already, but I want to repeat a a couple of lines from that speech. There are many kings, King Henry VIII, King Solomon, King Tut, King James, King Kong, the three kings, but there is only one prince, only one man who has defied restriction, who's defied the obvious and all the rules to the game. You can tell for the rest of that, since that day, or basically, never mind since that day, but through their entire careers, the group Outcast and Alicia Keys have defied the obvious and all the rules to the game. They have used Prince as an inspiration as to how to lead their careers. Now, I'll mention more later on the podcast. I talked earlier. The last decade, Alicia Keys' career has not been great. It's been with mixed reviews. Uh, There's been a couple of songs I like. I like the song she did with Fivio uh, and um, Kanye last year. That's a great song. But I haven't been feeling her music and her collaborations with her husband, Swiss Beats, leave a lot to be desired. But you know what? She, did, she has not allowed herself to be typecast, to be put in a box, R&B singer, R&B singer of ballads. No, she's experimenting now. In my opinion, the experiments have not done her career the service that was warranted. That is warranted, but you know what? 
is her career. And you know what? She's had such a great career that whatever she decides to do, if she wants to do gospel music or jazz or whatever, she's earned the right to explore and experiment. Outcast, especially Stax. Andre 3000 has been criticized a lot for his reluctance to rap again. After the Love Below uh, double CD, Outkast only made one more album, the uh, soundtrack to Idlewild. And since then, Andre has occasionally rapped. Whenever he has rapped, he's been phenomenal. But he has decided to do other things. He recently came out with an album where he plays instrumentals with his flute. He's earned that right. He's a legend. He's had an incredible career. And another thing, ladies and gentlemen, something that my father told me when I was a little boy, when you lose passion in something or someone, don't do it because it's because everyone wants you to do it. Don't do it because you feel it's the right thing to do. No, only do it if you're hungry and passionate about it. All my life, when I've been passionate about something, I put my all into it, whether it's the woman I'm in love with, whether it's raising my son, whether it's to this day taking care of my mom after my father passed, um, involved in my nephew's life, boxing, music. If I'm passionate about that, I will talk about it. I will be involved in it. But when I lose the passion for something, a year ago, when my mother almost died, I lost the passion for being a follower of the New York Mets, New Orleans Saints, and Philadelphia 76ers. I was like, all right, I'll watch watch sports, but no longer will I be invested in a team. The only sport that I'll be invested in when following something will be individual sports such as boxing. But team sports, I will watch and with an unbiased eye, sit back and now um, I don't have to have that unnecessary stress of following a team. I'm no longer passionate about any teams. I'll watch the sport. Andre 3000, no longer passionate about hip-hop. You listen to his interviews recently. He's not passionate about the genre anymore. He still loves music. Reason he came out with that flute album. Let him be, fellas. Let him be. And I've been critical of Alicia Keys the last decade. But if her passion is doing music with her husband and experimenting with sounds, she's earned every right to do it. I don't have to listen to it. And I choose not to. Outcast, Alicia Keys, definitely were influenced by their love and admiration of Prince. Ladies and gentlemen, I mentioned Kanye earlier. Well, I am about to play that 106 and Park interview with Kanye and Alicia Keys. Then we will play uh, the incredible song, you don't know my name. And then on the other side, I will talk all about this incredible song 
and why I have it as one of the top five greatest songs of the 21st century. Hadouken! Yeah, yeah, listen, I flow like 97 hoes or 96 Nas, better yet, any year that Rock Kim's alive, word to a lie, I'm like God with the rhymes, no question, Kof be the wizard of Oz, learn the lesson, I'm like Big L, Big Pun, voting a one, get up Biggie Smalls, my style weighs a ton, I'm Kane in 89, dope nigga, no crutches, plus I'm able to hold no punches, with me, I'm 95's Cuban Link, I chef up drama, a faceless ghost, yeah, yeah, here to harm ya, I'm 98 Mace, 92 Rick the Ruler, I'm truly slick, nigga, use a loser, I'm Lauren Hill, off the edge, off the pill, no stress, I'm Jizza playing chess, a dash of Pac, when I'm angry they can't stand me, I'm Lupe dropping loopholes on a cool day, LL smoking a cool J, for real let's talk about it. Let's talk about it, on the quest, I can't black thought without it I'm Beanie Siegel, freeway spitting evil I'm Pusha T, plus malice I'm Reggie Noble with the vocals, most deaf above average I'm common, now nah, I'm Scarface with the passion They can't fuck with me, this is... I didn't do a lot of collaborations, but the ones that I did were special. And working with Kanye, it was magic, man, because we yeah. both, uh, we just both are on the same mind wave with a certain type of yeah. music. You're on the same mind wave? Same mind mind so, wave. Um, so Kanye, Kanye, what was it like, was it like working, with working with Alicia? Well, Kanye, I told what was it like working with... Hey, Kanye! We got Kanye right to the house, y'all! With two subs, you don't know my name! <laughs> What's up? <laughs> so, so tell us, Kanye, what it was like uh, working. What was it like working with Alicia He's Keys, hiding. man? He's, what was it Kanye like? Kanye was in the Kanye. building. Yeah. What was it like working with? <laughs> I mean, for her to so have sold so many records, I work with a lot of different artists, and she was one of the most receptive and easiest to work with, and one of the most proficient. She'd go in and just do her stuff like in one take, like you know how Jay would do his stuff in one take. Yeah. And uh, I told her, like, when, when when we was halfway through with the song, I said, yo, this is going to be an Apollo classic right here. They're going to go on Apollo like, man, I'm going to sing Alicia Keys, you don't know my name. And okay. they're like, rub the law. Man, so, well, y'all did a great job on the record. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Now, we, 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 we got to ask about the, can we play the kids? We got to talk about the kids. Because, we, you know, I think the Thanksgiving show, which everybody was home watching, we kind of blasted. Were you watching it? Did you see the Thanksgiving no, show? No, no, I, I have issues with AJ right can now. We, can we show the kids? Producers Do we in the have back, the picture? We, so Kanye, tell us, tell us. You're an honest man, right? Were you watching the video? Yeah. Is that, was is that, that a, a real kiss? Is that a kiss right there? Oh, is, it a Kanye, is that a kiss? I don't think that was a real kiss right there. I don't. That don't look like a kiss okay, right there to me. Okay, that's an easy answer. And Alicia, 
Actually, what was beautiful about this whole scene, you know, big up to Chris Robinson, my man, to Jeff Robinson, you know, just all of us working together. Most them. Right. Of course, most them. Um, the beautiful thing is that, you know, when Chris had this idea to kind of, you know, portray this love that we would feel amongst each other, you know, he called it a love scene, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> So hold on a minute with the whole love scene. How exactly do you plan on putting this across? Right, you know what I mean? Right. And so um, he was like, I wanted, uh, he really wanted it to be the sensual feeling of love, the real feeling of love, which is sweet, mm -hmm. not, you know, not raunchy. Right. It's sweet. And so he wanted it to seem like, you know, it was about to happen, That anticipation of your first kiss. Exactly. And that's what that moment and is that about. that is the anticipation now, did really kiss? of a first kiss. Look at the smile. Really Look at the smile. <laughs> we'll be back, we'll though, Kanye. Thank you for coming through. All right, we got more 106 apart. Look like a kiss to me. Give it up, gonna be all that's gonna be. silly doing this but 
This is the waitress from the coffee house on 39th and Lennox. You know, the one with the braids. Yeah. <laughs> well, I see you on Wednesday all the time, and you always order the special with the hot chocolate. <laughs> but look, man, I don't want to waste your time, but I was wondering if we could get together outside of the restaurant one day, because I do look a lot different outside of my work clothes. Wait, hello? My cell phone's ringing. Hello? Can you hear me now? <laughs> so what day did you say? Did you say Thursday? And it feels like, ooh. But you don't know my name. And I swear on my mother and father, it feels like, Love him or hate him. There is no undenying that in the 21st century, now this is my opinion, but it's going to be hard for people to state that I'm wrong. I will debate this with anybody. But since this is my podcast, there's no need for me to debate. The 21st century, in my opinion, the greatest producer when it comes to hip-hop and overall music, when you combine hip-hop, soul music, R&B, it's Kanye West. It's his love of soul music. And I talk all about that in depth on the Kanye West tribute podcast that you can catch here on the Legends of Sports and Music. I'm not going to delve into Kanye's background. You've got an incredible multi-part documentary on Netflix that shows Kanye's uh, life and times. And it's a great uh you can, you, it, it's a great, <laughs> you could combine that with my Kanye West tribute pod. A great companion it is. The two of them together and you can hear the greatness of Kanye West. One of Kanye's greatest masterpieces, in my opinion, is one of the five greatest songs of the 21st century, in my opinion. And that is, You Don't Know My Name. I mean, it's just a masterpiece of a song, co-written, of course, by Alicia Keys, Kanye West, and Kerry Brothers. A story about a young woman who's who sees a young man and is infatuated with that man, but is too shy to approach that man. It's like the female version of the babyface written song, Can We Talk? masterpiece of a song that I broke down and I related to my life because that's how I felt when I first met the lady I'm dating with right now. Can we talk for a moment? Because when I first saw her, I lost my fucking mind. But, and you guys would be shocked to hear this. I'm, a, I'm shy. <laughs> I'm shy. I'm, when it comes to approaching women, I'm shy. I hate rejection. And when I am blown away by a woman's magnetism, by a woman's beauty, by a woman's aura, it takes me a while before I can muster the words to introduce myself. Anyway, I talk about how I met my lady in the whole nine on the Tevin Campbell tribute podcast. For those listening to this, check that out. And I talked about 
the masterpiece that was Can We Talk on that episode, as well as the Babyface Part 1 tribute podcast. So I talked twice about that amazing song on both tribute podcasts. And another great song in which a in, an individual is too shy to talk to the person they're, I mean, mesmerized by, that they're in love with from afar, is Can I Talk to You? So we have Can We Talk by Tevin Campbell and Can I Talk to You, written by Devontae Swing and, of course, sung masterfully by Casey Jojo as the lead singer of Jodeci. Can and I, you can go back to a my Jodeci tribute podcast, and I broke down how I met this woman and I dedicated that song to her because when I first met this woman 30, 31 years ago, 32 years ago, 30, no, uh, we're in 2023, yeah, 32 years ago in, in 1991, this was the song that I kept playing over and over again when I tried to approach it, and I broke it all down on the Jodeci Tribute Podcast. So Alicia Keys, You Don't Know My Name, is a beautiful song about a woman who is infatuated with a man. She's a waitress in this diner, and she's every time he comes around, she makes his food special. She puts extra, she puts extra stuff in the, unbeknownst to him, in, a, in his food, hoping that he would compliment her. Oh, this, this, but of course he does it because he's unaware. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if a woman felt like that about me and I, and she looked the way Alicia looks and she never told me, man, I'd be upset. I'd be upset. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be like, oh my God. Oh, man. So, now I've got to start listening to my old podcast because um, so many people tell me how the Tevin Campbell and Jodeci podcast are their favorite podcasts. And those are two of the top 10 podcasts I've done when it comes to listenership. I've got to go check those out. Um, I only listen to my shows when they first come out, when, when, when I first release them, and then I don't listen to them again. But I do have to go and revisit some of these shows that you guys keep telling me are amazing shows that brought you to listen to this platform. But I digress. Let me get back to uh, You Don't Know My Name. Kanye West with the masterful uh, with the masterful sample that he used from the legendary 1970s soul group. The main ingredient, which... People remember Cuba Gooden Sr., Cuba Gooden's Cuba Gooden Jr.'s father was the lead singer of. The song is Let Me Prove My Love to You. And it is such a soulful ballad. It is perfect. And the background singers, when they recorded this song, were Ray Goodman and Brown. Ray Goodman and Brown. Unreal, huh? Unreal. And 
the clip I played, the performance I played, and man, I mean, I, the the one performance I wanted to play, I couldn't find. I have it on videotape, but I couldn't find it on YouTube or Daily Motion. Was Alicia Keys performing "You Don't Know My Name" on the American Music Awards, in which she reintroduced to the world Ray Goodman and Brown, who had the incredible hit you must be a special lady and a very exciting girl they called they called alicia keys their angel because at the point in time that she contacted them to do background vocals for you don't know my name they had been forgotten in the annals of, of music history and when she did all her live performances good morning america um the Ellen DeGeneres show, which is the show that um, I used the clip, the American Music Awards, the, the Tonight Show, etc. She brought them with her. She just didn't use them for the song. She used them for the live performances, promoting the album, promoting the single, because You Don't Know My Name was the first song on her second album. The first song released from a second album and it was the perfect song and this was before kanye exploded this was before kanye had his own incredible run ladies and gentlemen 2004 2005 there were no hotter acts than usher we'll be talking about usher later on in the podcast kanye west outcast and alicia keys yeah beyonce was huge too because she was having a great run, but those four, for me, were the top of the food chain in music at that time, and it was the last great era in which I followed popular music. I haven't followed popular music since 2006, 2007. I couldn't tell you what's, what the children love today, what the young people love today, because it doesn't catch my ear. I, it, it's not my music. It's not the music I grew up with. Hey, everybody, Whatever floats your boat, go ahead. But um, hip-hop is dead to me. But I do try and listen to the soul acts, the R&B acts that my lady and people on social media talk about. And I, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, there's a lot of great young talent out there that doesn't get the notoriety they deserve because there are no platforms to... Right today, there are no platforms. There are no mute radio stations. There are no uh, cable stations that dedicate themselves to R&B soul music. So the Solange Knowles and the uh, Seven Streeters, London Brown, uh, not London Brown, um, what's the October London's of the world? London Brown's a great actor. October London, the brother who sounds like Marvin Gaye uh, resurrected from the grave. They don't have an outlet to play their great soul music. I've got a long story when it comes to You Don't Know My Name, okay? There's something that really uh, bothered me about it. But back to, before I could continue, Ray Goodman and Brown, when... 
they talked about Alicia Keys in the past. They called her her angel because she gave them a lifeline. And because of their appearances, both on the original recording and on various talk shows, they were, they got gigs to perform. They got gigs to perform. Concerts, concert venues came calling. Clubs came calling for them to sing. And they were able to make another run of money because of Alicia Keys. Now let's get to the video. This video was shot in 2003, fall of 2003, at the iconic Pan Pan Diner on 135th Street and Lenox Avenue. When I graduated in the spring of 2000 with my master's in public administration, that's where my family, me, my son, who my son at the time was seven going on eight. My father had exactly two months left to live, but he was still alive. And my mother, the four of us went to Pan Pan after the graduation ceremony. And we, the graduated graduation ceremony was held at the theater at Madison Square Garden. When it was over, we jumped on the, it was either the two or the three train at Penn Station. We took it to 135th. We got off the train. It was perfect because at that time we were living in the South Bronx and the M33 stops right in front of the diner and takes us a block away from the building that we all lived in at the time. Okay, so we're up, we go there and we have a great lunch and the food at Pan Pan was chef's kiss. It was a great dad, an African-American establishment owned by a fella named Ben Barrow. And for years, that was the heart of that area. That place stayed packed because he had loyal customers come in every day. People from the community had their breakfast, lunch, and dinner there. Great chicken. Great everything. I mean, it was just great. And the, 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 the personnel there that served you, that made your food, was first class, first class. The the music video just gives you a glimpse of the atmosphere in that restaurant. Now, Alicia Keys moved to Harlem sometime in the early 90s, and um, she was living with her new, back in the mid-90s, she moved in with her, uh, with Kerry Brothers, Crucial, of Crucial Keys, Alicia Keys being Keys, Kerry being Crucial. They started living together around 1995 in Harlem, and she would go to Pan Pan damn near every day. She would write lyrics to music. Her and Kerry would be sitting there writing lyrics. Now, I'm treading lightly, but I'll get more into detail about their relationship on the next segment. But right now I'm just going to stick to the music. In working on You Don't Know My Name with the song her and Kanye came up with, this was the perfect opportunity for Alicia Keys 
to give free publicity to her favorite restaurant that she went to every day while living in Harlem before her and Carrie moved to Queens in the late 90s. Great video, and of course, everybody remembers this video. And one other thing I want to mention before I finish the video, I mean finish talking about the video, is that Alicia Keys, in this song, you hear the influence of Michael Jackson because she sounds very Michaelish. We go, ooh, you don't know my name. And it feels like, ooh, 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 that's Michael right there. And in the song, Michael Jackson was idolized by both Kanye West and Alicia Keys. And in the song, the name of the character, I don't know if this was Kanye's idea or Alicia's idea, the name of the character that she has a crush on, the name of the boy, is Michael. Oh, your name's Michael? Hi, Michael. Hello, is this Michael? That was an ode to Michael Jackson. The video, she plays a waitress in Pan Pan. Um, most deaf is the love interest. He comes there every day before he goes to work. Harlem resident, you could tell he's a businessman. He looks like he works in Wall Street, all right? Uh, dressed sharply, very serious, doesn't say much. She's constantly trying to talk to him. She doesn't say much. Now, He's an older gentleman at this point in time because most deaf is a few years younger than me. So at this point in time, when they shoot the video, most deaf is what, 32, 33 years old, maybe 30. And Alicia Keys at this point in time is 22 years old. So you can see the, and I'll get more into this later on, the young, beautiful woman attracted by this very successful older man who happens to be strikingly handsome. And I loved the chemistry between Most Def and Alicia Keys in this video. They showed the Cooley High, Ode to Cooley High. Another thing about Alicia Keys, that we talk about videos, I got sidetracked for a second. Alicia Keys, throughout her incredible run, made videos that were influenced by the type of music videos Michael made. And I talked about that on my last Michael Jackson podcast, the Thriller documentary review. You can check that out. Plus the entire seven-part series I've done on Michael Jackson's career. You can see the influence of Michael Jackson in this music video with Mos Def and, and Alicia Keys, the storytelling. And Alicia Keys will continue to do that throughout her career. It started with Fallen, but her songs told stories and in the music video she tried to express those stories this was brilliantly done ladies and gentlemen this should have been a knock out knock them out the park financial success for pad pad and, and originally it was but ladies and gentlemen there's a sad ending to this story the video premiered on mtv on november 10th 2003 immediately people from all over the country would go visit new york just to go to pan pan 
just to go eat at the establishment that was in the music video. Tourists would stop in Harlem, and the first place they want to go to is Pan Pan. No longer was it Sylvia's. It was Pan Pan. The video premiered November 10th, 2003. On November 10th, 2004, a fire burnt that store to the ground, and Pan Pan never existed again. Now, I'm not going to go into how the store got burnt down. The official report was that a grease fire occurred in the kitchen and the place went up in flames and it was decimated, burnt to the ground. I'm not going to go into it. Just say, ladies and gentlemen, I don't believe that shit because despite the financial boom that the music video did for that entire year before the establishment was burnt to the ground, Despite all that financial success, the people that are, that leased that space to Ben Barrow and Pan Pan told them they were gonna they weren't gonna give him that space back. They were breaking the lease, and that he could no longer have his restaurant there. Broke my heart when that report came out about eighteen months after. The fire destroyed the restaurant. The video came out on November 10th, 2003. The building was burnt down on November 10th, 2004. Things don't happen by accident, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just putting that out there. I'm just putting that out there. It's just ironic how dates symbolize things. Things don't happen for a reason. I'll go more into detail about uh, dates on later podcasts, but dates have a significance in our lives. Things just don't happen for a reason. I mentioned this before on my podcast. I wrote a poem about my mother on July 30th, I believe, 1997. I wrote a poem about my mother. Three years later, on July 30th, 2000, my father died. Things do not happen in a vacuum. I'm um, um, sorry if I uh, made some people sad out there with the last bit of information I gave about that restaurant, but it was a great music video. It was a great restaurant, and it's been almost 20 years. It's been a little bit over 19 years since that restaurant was burnt to the ground. I still miss that restaurant. One of the most iconic pieces of Harlem. And it could never be replaced. And it was never replaced. Uh, Shout out to Mr. Barrow. Shout out to the Barrow family. And um, shout out to all the people that worked throughout that establishment. And shout out to Alicia Keys for paying homage to a restaurant that was a huge part of her struggling over years as a struggling artist. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we will continue with another interview that Alicia Keys did and then followed up by two incredible performances. One at the American Music Awards with Usher, my boo, and 2005 Grammys when she tore the house down with I Ain't Got You. And then I will come back and talk about it on the other side. Alicia Keys is in town. 
Thank you for inviting us to your gig. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for coming. I'm happy that you're here. So this is your, the British leg of your world tour. Exactly. You're still buzzing off it? You're still enjoying it? No, I'm super buzzing, and I'm, I'm, I just have so much fun with what I do. I love what I do, and, you know, I'm just excited about the show. Now, your new single, Girlfriend. Yeah. Tell me about that. The song is basically about when you're with somebody and you're feeling a little bit like they're getting a little too close to a friend. Ah. And you know they're just friends, and you know you're not supposed to be feeling any type of way, but you feel some way that's uncomfortable. So is this something that Alicia Keys has suffered from? And if so, tell us all about it. <laughs> I mean, of course. That's what I think is, you know, really the reason why I love that song so much is because, I mean, I think it's something everybody's felt at one time or another. Even, you know, as much as we try to deny it, I tried to deny it. Didn't work, but I tried. And did that person that you felt jealous towards, did they ever find out? How you feel? No way. Mm-mm, they can't find out. I read somewhere that they sh you sort of felt that the, the byproduct of becoming successful is that people suddenly put a pressure on you to maintain an image. For me, I just I just never want to be pigeonholed. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to just be one way. I don't ever want to be. That's so boring. Who wants to be one way all the time, mm. you know? And uh, I want to explore who I am. I want to explore my musicianship. I want to explore my artistry. I want to I want to always surprise you, and that's what I will always do. And that could imply going into acting as well. <laughs> could it not? That was a nice transition. Do you like that? I thought that was very hey, good. Hey, Did y'all think that was good? <laughs> <laughs> but, um... And you walked into it, so you've got to ask Okay, it. okay. I think that that's definitely a possibility for me. Uh, Are you getting sent scripts now? I am. And what are we going to see? We're going to see Alicia Keys' action hero heroine. That's right. I want to be an ex-woman. Really? I want to be one of. I want to be a superhero. That'd be cool. And you have to be honest with me now, all right. because you've been doing lots of shows. Okay. And as we all know, because we work in this industry, has anything gone wrong? Yeah. So there's one particular night. I'm playing and I'm playing the first chords and I move to the second chord and all of a sudden my mind goes blank. And the third, the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth chord was gone. Oh. And so I'm looking at the piano and it looks like a foreign object to me. I've played for 13 years, 14 years, and it looks foreign to me. You know, it's reassuring to know that you can sell nine million records, but you can still forget what oh, comes next in the song. You can definitely forget what comes next. Alicia, I can't wait for the show tonight. Me neither, thank you. Best of luck with the rest of the tour. Thank you very much. And have a great show. See you tonight. You will. All right. <laughs>
Some people live for the fortune. Some people live just for the fame. Some people live for the power, yeah. Some people live just to play the game. Some people think that the physical thing. the Search about ten. The promise is forever young. Some people need three dozen rules, and that's the only way to prove you love them. Listen, baby. Now, I want to talk about something concerning Alicia Keys' personal life that really people haven't addressed it, and I need to address it. And look, I'm not going to uh, 
be critical of Alicia, but I am going to be critical of Kerry Brothers, okay? Alicia was 14, maybe 15, when she met Kerry Brothers, after Jeff Robinson became her mentor and then manager. Kerry Brothers and Alicia Keys moved in together when she was 15, 16 years ago, got an apartment together in Harlem. Then, a few years later, when she was 17, 18, they moved into an apartment in Queens. I'm not sure what section of Queens they were living in, but she mentioned that on a few occasions that her and Kerry Brothers had rented out a house in Queens and they used the basement as the studio for songs they would work on. And most of the songs that were released on songs in A minor were made in that record studio initially before she signed to J Records. For years, Alicia did, and Carrie did not speak about their personal life, lives together. They made it look like they were a brother, like a like they were a brother sister type that they had like a brother sister type relationship. Whenever she would get an award, she would shout out, shout out to Carrie Brothers, part of Crucial Keys, yay! You know how she used to always do that great chant, yay! Always sounded innocent, and I loved it. A lot of enthusiasm. She kept it under a hat that they were more romantically involved. When she first appeared on the national spotlight in, 19, in 2001, rumors were all over the place that she was a closet lesbian. I know she had some masculine of qualities, the way she walked, the way she would hug other men, and she looked like, you know, a type of chick that that you could hang out with. She was a tomboy. If you really look at it, Alicia Keys, at 20, 21, 22 years old, when she first exploded onto the scene, she was a tomboy. She loved hip-hop, and she dressed very... Uh, um, tomboyish with the hip-hop gear of the day, whether it was the mid-90s when she was first starting out as a singer-songwriter or in 2001 at the tender age of 20 when she exploded on to the music scene. She always wore a baseball cap, baggy pants. She really didn't showcase her figure a lot. I mean, the first time I saw her, she had on short shorts and I, I was amazed by her legs. But normally when you saw her on television, she hid her physical assets, if to to uh, coin the right term, and she was very non-committal about her sexual preference. And I think this was done on purpose, ladies and gentlemen. Now, look, I'm I'm guessing here. I'm theorizing here. I don't know any of this to be facts, but I do know that Kerry Brothers is 11 years older. Well, you know what? Technically, 10 years and two months older than Alicia Keys because I think uh, Kerry just had his uh, 53rd birthday. And Alicia Keys right now will be 43 next month. In about five to six weeks. 
she will turn about six weeks she will turn she will turn 43. so for all intents and purposes there was a 10 age gap so if she was 14 when she met Kerry brothers he was 24. if she was 15 he was 25. if she was 16 he was 26 they were living together and you cannot tell me that he was not grooming her right i've got to bring it out to the for- to the forefront ladies and gentlemen because for years they kept that relationship quiet it wasn't until there was a change in her way of moving when she started dating a married man in swiss beats swiss beats wound up leaving his wife for alicia keys 2009. this was during the time where the relationship between carrie brothers and alicia keys ended both professionally and romantically romantically we found out in 2008 they broke up uh alicia keys and swiss beats 2009 is when the reported romance with swiss beats occurred eventually they got married they've had children and from all intents and purposes they look like a beautiful loving couple you could tell whenever they're on stage or at a functional interview that they're very much in love with each other. Okay. I got no problem with that. I know a lot of people criticize Alicia Keys saying she stole another woman's husband. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't steal a fucking husband. You don't steal a wife. It takes two to tango, right? Y'all made uh, Alicia Keys seduce that woman's husband. It takes two to tango. All right. And let let me tell y'all something. If you are truly in love, with your wife, your fiance, your lover, your husband, etc. No matter how beautiful the person coming onto you is or how wealthy that person is, if you are in love, if you are infatuated with your significant other, there's nobody that could come between y'all, all right? For some reason he wasn't happy and even though he had a child by his wife he went with alicia keys that was a decision he made nobody forced him to do that all right so people were ripping on alicia keys oh she stole she stole that woman's husband ain't nobody steal nobody's husband okay the man is not blind okay the man swiss beats fell in love with alicia keys alicia keys fell in love with her he left his wife for Alicia Keys. Now, is he at fault? The biggest, the biggest uh, person here, the person that did the most was Swiss Beats because he broke his wife's heart. Alicia Keys wasn't uh, related to Swiss Beats' wife. Um, Alicia Keys knew Swiss Beats was married, but when they started working in the studio together and they found out that they had a lot in common and she probably realized now i'm pontificating here that swiss wasn't happy in his marriage the affair began and going off now 15 years later they're still together with beautiful children very beautifully beautiful and talented children and they are a loving, happy couple. People were so unfair ripping Alicia. 
I don't fault Alicia for either relationship. I don't fault her for falling in love with a man 10 years older than her in Carrie Brothers. Because when a man is 25 and he can write music and he could try and help you with your career, a 15-year-old girl is going to fall in love with that dude. The dude is much older, much wiser, and can groom her and manipulate her. They probably kept the relationship quiet. They let the lesbian rumors linger on. Because remember, when Alicia Keys came out in 2001, that was during the height of the R. Kelly allegations that were flooding. All right. There was lawsuits and allegations coming left and right, and eventually it would land R. Kelly in prison. Now, Clive Davis is Alicia Keys's uh, record mogul. Um, she works for J Records. She's doing music for J Records back there. Clive Davis, a master of manipulating the media, probably knew that at 20 years old she was with this 30-year-old man. She knew. He had to know. Because he was, Clive Davis was pursuing Alicia Keys to come to Jay Records. And I'm sure he was over at their place. And I'm sure he knew they were involved. That you can't fool Clive Davis. That man's been in the music uh, business since Jesus Christ was born, all right? That man's older than Methuselah. He knows. Clive Davis has seen a number of uh, big acts with under age lovers but he knew that if he was going to have to sign ladies and gentlemen this is all theorizing on me i'm not saying this is fact this is the og rob silver coming to a conclusion after years of thinking about this alicia keys was involved with a man in an inappropriate relationship, but I never blame the young girl. I will never blame Aaliyah for her relationship with R. Kelly, and I will never blame Foxy Brown for her relationship with Jay-Z, and I will never blame Alicia Keys for her relationship with Carrie Brothers. It's the man. The men are to blame. If you notice, since the breakup of Carrie Brothers and Alicia Keys, Carrie Brothers has not had a major hit with any other artist. The chemistry between him and Alicia were top tier. They were one of the greatest uh, songwriter-producer combos of the 21st century. They had a great run. It ended with Unthinkable, and we'll talk more about that later on. And, but that, and that was during the time where Alicia's personal life had shift gears from Kerry Brothers to Swiss Beats, uh, Kasim Dean. So um, Alicia Ogello Cook Dean, I'm not doing this to ostracize you. You were a, teen, a young teenage girl when you met the first love of your life and second love of your life, it was an adult decision between two adults, two consenting adults. Nobody, nobody, all right. How do you say it? She didn't uh, shake her ass in front of Swiss Beat and, and try and seduce him. If she did, he followed her. It took two to tango, and Swiss was just as willing to be involved with Alicia 
as Alicia w- was willing to be involved with Swiss. I just wanted to bring that up and um, I'll leave it at that. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we will hear another interview, a very long interview from Alicia Keys. Then we're going to play another two of my all-time favorite Alicia Keys songs. And I will talk about the um, the incredible songs that are Diary and Wild Horses on the other side. Grow up with somebody who was really, um, you know, loved me and wanted the best for me. But at the same time, it was definitely a, you know, um, a hard life. And growing up in the middle of the city, it's a jungle, and especially uh, a single woman with a young daughter pretty much on her own, it's tough. I guess the music in me, um, I guess it was always there. You don't know it, of course, when you're young. It came out because I had a great teacher when I was in kindergarten, and she really had a zest for life, you know? And I really think that made a difference, too. So she exposed us to a lot of different musical styles, as well as cultures, and, um, you know, helped us embrace our different cultures. And I think that was a pretty cool way to start out your life. And uh, so that was one of the ways that I was really exposed to music and pushed to learning my first song and singing it in front of a group of people. (laughs) I felt like I always felt like I wanted to have a career in music. Um, From the first note that ever came out of my mouth, I remember feeling this sweet anticipation, you know, this feeling that was really a good feeling, even how nervous I was to be a part of my life. So there were always different things that were in my path that I guess were just meant to be there. I mean, I had been in groups since, you know, I was nine years old, and it was just always by chance, kind of like, okay, this is an opportunity, all right, yeah, let me try it. You know, it wasn't, so it kind of fell in my way and I found out how much I loved it and then I wouldn't let it go. There was a teacher at my school named Mrs. Ziza. She actually still performs now and she's incredible, but she really exposed us to things that I don't think we ever got a chance to see. First of all, she was a musician herself, so she would come in there and play the piano and, you know, give us, you know, hash out the harmonies and the spreads she wanted us to have. And she was the person that really made me fall in love with harmony and the way you can pile voices on top of each other and just create such a mood. Um, She would come in and teach us her songs, you know, something she just finished writing. She would check this out. I want y'all to sing it like this, like that. You know, she kind of used us as her instrument. And we, you know, for me, I was able to see another woman really in love with music. So she really helped us explore music in not a rigid way so that it turns you off, but in an open way so that it turns you on. So she's a big influence for me. I started writing songs. The first, 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 first time I ever wrote a song was probably about 11 or 12. And I had just seen this movie, Philadelphia. And, and um, you know, there's a lot of personal things that were going on in my life that I never really talked about before, but this movie really evoked such emotion out of me that I remember just running home and getting on my little uh, wood upright piano <laughs> that separated, you know, the living room from my bedroom in the apartment and just writing what I felt. And I never did that before. I never sat down and played and wrote whatever I felt inside. That was the first time. And I remember feeling like, 
wow after that that was my first first song like i said i had been in groups since i was about nine and um in this one particular group i was in started it myself with my friends and that kind of thing we went to school together and we would all go to my house and kind of play or jam or write or you know there would be people that were interested in different musical things maybe producers we would write to their tracks or whatever anything to be kind of involved in music and so um through that group, I used to, we used to rehearse all the time at this uh, kind of community center in Harlem. And um, every day after school, we were just focused and dedicated. But through that group is where I met my manager. And my manager um, was the one that pretty much said, you know, you're supposed to be a solo artist. And I was like, mm-mm. Not me. I was like, no, nah, I don't. I love harmonies. I love the textures. I want to look left and right and see people I know. Who wants to be on stage alone? I mean, not me. <laughs> so that was kind of how it started. And from there, the group didn't work out and things, you know, um, changed. And I got with my manager and we started to. He started to really showcase me as a solo artist, as a pianist, as a, as a musician, as a songwriter, as a package. And that's kind of how it started. Having graduated high school at, at that time, I was just thanking God that I could put my music out. I said, please, God, I don't care. Whatever happens, happens. If I have to work and never sleep ever just to get two people to like my music, I don't care. Just please let this come out so that the people can hear it, they can judge it, as opposed to all of these higher-ups not knowing a damn thing about anything, telling me what's good and what's bad. That's all I cared about. I, I, you know, I, I don't care, I said, if I have to play little, small, smoky clubs forever. Let me just please get this album out. It wasn't like the album must go to number one. You know, here's me, a person who had been working so long to get my music out there and fighting to really hold on to my vision for myself. And, um, you know, every, all anyone ever kept saying was, this is going to be a slow burn. You know, it's going to be something that you're going to have to work. We're going to work it. We're going to stick with it. And I'm like, great. So <laughs> when that happened and the album goes number one, and I started writing it. I started with this crazy idea that I wanted to write a song, any song for a young artist. She was about, I don't know, 12 years old, and she had this big voice. And I was like, wow, you know, it would be hard to write something for her that would be kind of like Michael Jackson-ish, just in the sense of when he was young, he could sing these songs that meant so much, and you're like, how does this nine-year-old know anything about these things? So that was kind of the idea that I had when I started just writing. And then my life happened and things were going on inside of me and I just started writing what I was feeling and going through. And I remember kind of being in on a piano and playing those that progression and, and just singing it. And I remember the first time I recorded the record was in my house, because I recorded the whole first album in my house. And um, from the minute, it started, there was something special about it. I don't know what it was. I felt it, anyone who heard it felt it. And even, you know, two and three years after I had written a song and I would moved on to millions of other songs, I would go back to that song and I felt the same way. And I felt those same feelings and those same chills. And I knew something was special about that song. I didn't feel nervous about my second album. I mean, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that as time passes, you know, you get stronger, you get better, you get smarter, you get more wise. There's just more that you learn. So for me personally, there's no way that I could regress 
because I'm only gonna get better. So I was so ready to express the new things that I was feeling and going through that, that's all that was on my mind. I mean, I, I, the last thing I was thinking, oh, this album, oh my goodness, how are you gonna follow it up? I, everybody else thought about that. So I said, let you think about that. I'm gonna focus on my heart and I'm gonna do what I did and what I always do and I come from within. So that's what I did and I had so much to say and I had seen so much and, you know, been exposed to so much probably that I still don't even take in 100%, you know? And I was just ready to talk about it and talk about what I felt, and that's what I did. And and this album is, for me, um, really a step up, you know, in every sense of the word. I really record a lot at home, regardless. Um, and even like when I was on the road, I, I recorded. So really at home just means a personal, private space that is my own, that people aren't walking in and out, that's not so super fancy and flawless that you feel like weird in, you know what I mean? I just like a place that's that's private and personal to me where I can feel comfortable enough to really express myself without you know, having to be shy or anything like that. So that's what I look for and that's what I found. You know, I purposely found a place that was really, I mean, virtually kind of dirty, <laughs> but I like it like that. I like it to be very simple, not a lot of great furniture. I mean, just some place that I can just be comfortable and really not even focus on what's out there, but focus on what's in here. I have uh, two books that I'm in the process of working on. The first one is a collection of song lyrics and poems which is really interesting for me because to go into my life and my kind of private places like that in a way is liberating because it's things I've never thought that I would ever really share. But I'm happy to share now because a lot of them I've been able to kind of overcome whatever it was that I was talking about at that particular time. So that's gonna be really, really interesting. In fact, I dreamt of the title of the book last night I'm not gonna tell it to you right now, I'm just gonna let you wait. And the other one is kinda gonna be a collection of diaries since I was nine. And it's gonna be, you know, the story of, uh, you know, how your drive and your ambition can take you from what you think is nothing to what you think is everything. Well, I've always been really dedicated and really just focused on the things that I want. So I think I had a certain idea of what it takes to be diligent, you know, and I'm not afraid to, to work hard. So I think that helped me out a lot. Plus, you know, my mother raised me on her own, you know, she worked hours and hours and hours. We'd come home for three hours and sleep really quick and get back up. I mean, that's what I was raised on. So I think those are things that I saw and that helped me just remain driven. Oh man, I want to do everything. I mean, there's nothing that I don't want to do. I want to keep learning myself and keep, you know, understanding who that is as I change. Um, I want to definitely continue to build my company along with my partner, Kerry Crucial Brothers, Crucial Keys. Um, I want to help develop artists. I want to, um, you know, help bring different styles of music to the forefront. I want to kind of write uh, music for theater, I want to score movies, I want to uh, act in movies, I want to do screenwriting, I want to do everything. What is the highlight? It's all one big highlight. <laughs> it really is one big highlight. I mean, I couldn't really pick one. I mean, I've 
Meeting Prince was a highlight. Singing on stage with Aretha Franklin was crazy. Of course, the night of the Grammys was like one big, what in the hell? <laughs> um, you know, uh, just allowing my music to be received by the people and letting them give their opinion of it has probably been one of the biggest highlights for me because I feel like I have a really good connection with people and that makes me really, really proud. Alisiecki's diary. Thank you. Save me, save me. 
Thank you. Adam Levine, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you, my brother, man. <laughs> Both the duets I play, Diary and Wild Horses, are two of my favorite duets of the 21st century. Now, Diary was originally recorded with the members of Tony, Tony, Tony in the post-Raphael Sadiq era. Um, I forgot the young, talented brother that took Raphael Sadiq's place as the lead singer, along with Dwayne and the rest of the group. Tony, Tony, Tony has done it again. But when you saw the unplugged version and the live versions that were on television, I remember the first time I heard the song live was in the fall of 2004 when Alicia with Jermaine Paul and the rest of her backup singers tore his song apart on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Tony, Tony, Tony was nowhere to be found. I saw them live in April of 2004 at the Hartford Civic Center. And ladies and gentlemen, I took Nika again to see Leach Keys. Nika was a huge Leach Keys fan. And so at this point in time, um, 2004, I was no longer dating four women at the same time. I was dating Nika basically exclusively, even though she wanted it, the relationship to take to another level. I discussed that on previous podcasts. I'm not going to regurgitate that. I'm just going to say that at this point in time, she was the only woman I was dating. And we took the Greyhound bus to Hartford, Connecticut to see the lady, the ladies nights tour, which was uh, Tamia, Missy Elliott, Alicia Keys, and Beyonce was the headliner. One thing I loved about Nika was she didn't give a fuck about Beyonce. And we knew that the last bus from Hartford back to New York City would be at midnight. Alicia Keys left the stage at 11 o'clock. So Nika and I looked at each other and we got the fuck out of there. But while Alicia Keys and we got on a bus, and plenty of time to come back to New York City. Matter of fact, we did the right thing because as the bus drove off, people were running out of the arena. Remember, the arena is only a block away. The Hoffick Civic Center is only a block away from the Greyhound bus. And we could see people in the rear view as the bus driver was driving off, running, screaming, stop the bus. Nah, nah. You wanted to see Beyonce? I hope you'll have fun. <laughs> We had a feeling that was going to happen, and neither one of us was interested. Now, if they would have flipped the script and had Beyonce come out before Alicia Keys, then we would have been asked out. But um, that wasn't going to be the case. Beyonce was always going to be the headliner. And, you know, it's crazy. Hartford, Connecticut's part of the tri-state area, area. You would think they would flip it and have Alicia Keys be the headliner. No, Beyonce was. Um, I didn't go... To the, I did buy tickets for the Nassau Coliseum, but I sold those tickets. How long I sold those tickets to my ex girlfriend Salima's uh, hairdresser's husband, and she took his wife to hit uh, Salima's hairdresser. So I don't ever, I don't know what went down as far as who came out first. All I know is the night after the concert, Salima called me and said, 
damn it, Robert, you should have took me. I said, Salima, we're not together anymore. You know, I offered you the tickets. You said you didn't have the money, so you went and had me sell it to your hairdresser. <laughs> and when I went to her hairdresser salon, she waited for her husband to come and pay me. So that's that. That's cool. That's cool. I got the money, and they enjoyed themselves at the concert. All right. One of the highlights of that concert, well, the two biggest highlights for me for that April 2004 concert was her singing You Don't Know My Name and Diary. Diary, her and Jermaine Paul, they sang. They sang, sang. Jermaine Paul is to Alicia Keys what Trey Lorenz is to Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey's greatest backup singer was Trey Lorenz. And you hear the amazing chemistry they had in the uh, I'll Be There cover they did on MTV Unplugged back in 1992. Trey Lorenz, like Jermaine Paul, never became the huge star despite both Trey and Jermaine having incredible vocal prowess and incredible talent it's a damn shame because jermaine and i heard recently that jermaine joined alicia keys on stage and tore up diary like he always does one of the highlights of an alicia keys concert from the time i went from 2004 to 2013 was whenever jermaine paul and alicia keys would sing Diary. I won't tell. I'll just pray it can do. Oh, it's just beautiful the way their voices blended together. And something else. This song was co-written and produced by Carrie Crucial Brothers and Alicia Keys. It was a crucial clique, crucial keys writing and producing duo. Nobody else was involved in this song. When you hear the song, your secrets are safe with me. That's Alicia. This is back, ladies and gentlemen. I always tell you that the greatest songs by the greatest artists are the autobiographical songs. Alicia singing to Carrie, your secrets. They both had a big secret in 2005, a relationship that was more than professional. It was personal relationship a very romantic relationship nobody knew the fans out there that there was no social media yet it was in its infant stages all right nobody was even guessing people were worried whether she was lesbian or not they weren't even looking at the fact that there's this dude that they collaborate all the time on great music and they're making incredible romantic ballads they're working and writing incredible romantic ballads together, right? Where's the inspiration? The inspiration was from each other. Now, Wild Horses, Adam Levine, Maroon 5, and later on, she, he would work with Alicia Keys on television. Uh, I don't know, what's it called, The Voice? I don't know. I forgot the name. I don't watch those uh, talent show, television shows, so I don't know. But Adam Levine... And Alicia Keys 
took the Rolling Stones' Wild Horses and blew fucking Mick Jagger out the fucking water with their version. And you see a lot of parallels between Alicia Keys and Mariah Carey. Now, Mariah's the greatest singer, right? But you have both these young artists who came out strong at an early age. Mariah Carey was 20 years old when she exploded onto the music scene in 1990, just like Alicia Keys was 20 years old in 2001 when she exploded onto the scene. They both wrote their own music. They both were the breadwinners for their record companies. Mariah Carey for Columbia Records, Alicia Keys for J Records. They both dominated a decade. Mariah Carey dominated the 1990s. Alicia Keys dominated between 2000 and 2000, 2001, 2010. She didn't come out in 2001. If you look at total sales for R&B singers in the 2000s, it wasn't Rihanna. From 2000 to 2010, it wasn't Rihanna. It wasn't Beyonce. It was Alicia Keys. And in the 1990s, Mariah Carey was the number one selling artist of all genres, period, end of story. The parallels are there and also with their professional lives and their personal lives. And then later on when they got married and they finally have children, uh, everything comes full circle. And also the most obvious fact, they're both biracial. It's just crazy how history repeats itself two of the most talented female artists of all time. Oh, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, on this platform, The Legends of Sports and Music, I have a series of Tupac mashups, Tupac duets in which I took songs from YouTube that were made into duets with Tupac and female artists. And I did an episode of Tupac and Alicia Keys and I did an episode of Tupac and Mariah Carey. In those episodes, I wasn't commenting on the music. I would read a poem that related to the song that was remixed between Tupac and the art, the female artist of that episode. I highly recommend you guys go um, listen to those podcasts because I love my poetry. I love sharing my poetry with the audience out there. And I, I read over 10 poems per episode. And the genius of the disc jockeys, not the disc jockeys, the DJs or the YouTubers that put these songs together, man, it's just, you would have thought Tupac was in the studio with Alicia Keys, with Mariah Carey, with Sade, with Aaliyah, and with Mary J. Blige. Those are the five episodes I did. The Tupac remix duet episode um when you get a chance check it out check any of those five out as soon as you start listening i guarantee you won't stop listening wild horses is an incredible duet adam and alicia have incredible chemistry my favorite song from the mtv unplugged concert that aired in 2005 with alicia keys and adam levine and her destroyed wild horses her and jermaine paul destroyed diary now we continue with the old interviews that alicia keys had and 
after this interview with, with Alicia Keys, you're going to hear the great songs, No One and Teenage Love Affair. And I will talk all about it on the other side. Girls turn into a major, major star. You I know will that? never, ever, ever be that cool in my life. And you know, she grew up right down the street here in Hell's Kitchen. Started playing the piano when she was about seven years old. By the time she was a teen, had written her very first song. And she's compiled her deepest thoughts, poems, and lyrics in a new book. Um, the new book is called Alicia Keys, Tears for Water. Yeah. Anyway, here she is, the five-time Grammy winner, Alicia Keys. <laughs> Sale. <laughs> yeah. I picked up something. Hey, that's my Friday shirt. <laughs> well, you look terrific. I love your hat. Thank you. I'm yeah. feeling a little cowboyish today. Congratulations on your Glamour Award. Yes. Well deserved. Oh, thank you. Now, as I understand it, you got a little emotional when you got the award, huh? I don't know what happened to me. Mm. Well, sure. Well, you should. I mean, it's a major, major award. It was the energy of the place and all those beautiful women and mm -hmm. everybody who really is striving for something. Uh -huh. This beautiful woman over here. And it just got me choked up. And I was like, what's going on? Wait, fish. <laughs> Striving and uh, and uh, and uh, accomplishing something as well. Definitely. Sure, good for you. Well, she opened the show, and I've got to tell you, when you stood up there and sang, I, I felt like I was watching a person from another time in another place. It was Thank really you. amazing. You knocked my socks off. <laughs> Thank you. It was great. So, Alicia, you grew up right down here. Right down the block. I'm so happy to really? be home. Absolutely. Mm. <laughs> so you've been watching us, I guess, over the years. Not really. No, I didn't think so. <laughs> Performing Arts High School, yes, and you were the valedictorian. Yes, I was. Do you remember your, your speech? <laughs> Thank you. Oh. Your speech, was, was it a motivational kind of thing that you, you had? My speech, I was feeling very rebellious and a little mm -hmm. angry at hierarchy at yeah. the moment. Right. Yeah, you yeah. know what sure. I mean? Sure. So I, I remember kind of putting a little bit of that in there. My, my Nana pulled out the speech the other day and read it to me. I was like, what is that angry thing? <laughs> She's like, that's you. Uh, it's amazing what five Grammys will do for a girl. <laughs> then you had a decision to make right off the bat. Columbia offered her a full scholarship out of high school. Mm -hmm. And yet she had this recording contract, I guess, that was Definitely. in the wind as well. Definitely. Chose to record and... Uh, well, that voice needed to be heard. Absolutely. I mean, my gosh. Absolutely, Thank yeah. You. And out of that came all of those wonderful hits and this terrific book. And would you read a poem for us when we come back? Yes, please. Yeah. Her new book, Tears for Waters. <laughs> and um, we're going to read a little poetry, which I don't think we've ever done on we our show. We need some culture here, I think. Well, Absolutely. It is nice. You know, poetry is like, uh, I think, an art form that's being saved by uh, musicians like, like yourself. Really? Thank you. Thank so you we've chosen much. this particular uh, poem, Golden Child. Yeah. All right? 
Shall I do it? Do you know Should by I heart? Should I give you some background? Yeah, give me a little background on what, what prompted this and where does it come from? Because you, you spoke about it some when you were talking about kind of the things that were going on. Mm -hmm. And when I had my first contract, there was a time when things are very, very shaky and bad and uh, people didn't quite believe in the music that I was doing. And I remember going home and sitting at my piano and writing this poem mm -hmm. because I was trying to tell myself this. So here we go. Golden Child. Hello morning, now I see you cause I am awake. What was once so sweet and secure has turned out to be fake. Girl, you can't be scared. Gotta stand up tall. Let them see what shines in you. Push aside the part laying in your heart like the ocean is deep, dark, and blue. Golden sunshine's peeking through the grayness of the sky. Soon it will be in full view and rain won't stain your eyes. Girl, you be smart. Look in your heart and see what shines in you. Push aside the part laying in your heart like the ocean is deep, dark, and blue because you are a golden child. You don't have to be afraid because time is on your side and they don't know the power you possess or the beauty that's inside. Hello, morning, now I see you, cause the lessons learned. These cards are the ones dealt to play and the tables will be turned, cause you are a golden child. Nice. Wow. Oh boy. Thank you. That's great. And really, didn't it work out just the way she wrote it? It's, it's really you know, true. Good for you. Thank you very and much. And what, what point in your life were you, did you write this? Alicia? That was about... After high school and before? Right. Right before, before yeah. Before everything, maybe about 18. 18, of it Does all? it seem like a long time ago now when you read it? No. It really doesn't seem that long mm. ago. I, I really recall those feelings very closely, but in ways it, it has been a, a lifetime in a way it feels like. Well, this is going to inspire a lot of people. Thanks, Alicia. Very, very much. Here's the water in the stars right now. Take care of yourself, darling. Good to see you.
Lot, lot going on here. Our uh, next guest, listen to this, an 11-time, an 11-time Grammy Award winner. You know, 11 times. That's remarkable. And you know, those, those Grammys, that's not first come, first served. You got a warrant being given that award, and she's won it 11 times, a tremendous singer-songwriter. Her most recent CD is entitled As I Am. Please welcome back to the program, Alicia Keys. <laughs> Good work. Oh, yeah. 
Somebody drop this? There you are. Thank you very much. Beautiful. Alicia, thank you so much. Thank you. Alicia Keys, come on over and we'll chat here a second. Thank you very much. Good We'll be right back, folks. Man, two more of my all-time favorite Alicia Keys songs. No one in which you hear Alicia Keys' amazing vocal prowess. No one, no one, no. And once again, it's an autobiographical song because this is a song that her and Carrie Brothers wrote together, Crucial Keys combination. And she's singing, definitely she's singing about Carrie. Man, you've got to see. Ladies and gentlemen, next time Alicia Keys comes to your town in concert, this song alone is worth the price of admission because the way she has the audience singing with her and the way she belts out these vocals, just pure phenomenal. And today she's singing about Swiss Beats, but when she first wrote that song with Carrie Brothers, it was all about Carrie. No one can make me feel this way. No one, no one, no. Da 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 da. Love it. Now, the next song I played after No One was Teenage Love Affair. <laughs> Things come back full circle, right? Carrie Brothers wasn't involved in the writing or producing of this song, and I'm glad he wasn't. He probably knew better, and it would have been a red flag, so he backed away from it. But uh, Teenage Love Affair, the music video, and once again, I, I talk about Alicia's creativity and her ode and her influence from Michael Jackson is that in her heyday, she made some of the most creative music videos of that era. Of course, we talked about You Don't Know My Name. Well, now we talk about Teenage Love Affair. You Don't Know My Name had a had an ode to Cooley High. Once again, black cinema being a huge influence in Alicia. It's, you know, it's, it's a uh, kudos to Alicia, Alicia Keys. She grew up being raised by a single Italian-American mother, yet she made sure, and I'm talking about Alicia Keys, not to forget her black roots. And she not only was a huge hip-hop and R&B soul music fan, but she watched a lot of black cinema. And you could see in her music videos the influence of black cinema. In You Don't Know My Name, Cooley High. In the Teenage Love Affair video, that's straight off of school days. And I believe Spike Lee gave his blessing for that music video. And Giancarlo Esposito plays a cameo. Of course, you know, he was one of the stars of school days. That was, I believe his first real star and role after years of being a supporting actor. That was one of the first major roles Giancarlo had when it came to a lot of screen time on a movie. Um, Teenage Love Affair was an ode to school days. And you see 
Alicia in a background dances, dancing. And, you know, it's ironic that they did this because remember in the movie school days, it was the battle of the dark skin versus the light skin. And Alicia Keys is the old Smith red bone, right? <laughs> oh, wait, and one thing about Alicia Keys throughout her entire career, she's always been a socially conscious artist. Also, I want to talk about the amount of money she's donated to charity throughout her lifetime, especially the last decade where her and Swiss have donated thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars to children's causes all over the United States. And the majority of that money is towards underprivileged black children. Alicia Keys, I mean, she is one of the great humanitarians in our lifetime. And anybody that's listening to this podcast, lifetime. Of course, no one comes close to Michael Jackson. Michael, the Guinness Book of World Record for most money donated to charitable organizations all over the world. Africa, Asia, India, New Zealand, Australia, Latin America etc. But that's another thing that being influenced by Michael Jackson, um, Alicia Keys picked up on. The influence of Michael Jackson helped her realize that, you know, with fame comes responsibility. And she has put her money where her mouth is. And she's done a lot of great work, great humanitarian work throughout her career. Teenage Love Affair, she wrote, and you can't tell me that that song is not autobiographical about her, my first teenage lover, you're my baby, baby, baby. Sort of like a repeat from You Don't Know My Name, Baby, Baby, Baby. Um, Teenage Love Affair is definitely her ode in a quiet way, in a secretive way, to her first true love, her first teenage love affair. And it wasn't with a teenager, but she was a teenager with Carrie Brothers. Love both of these uh, songs, No One and Teenage Love Affair. They're the most up-tempo songs I've played on this podcast. There were a lot of songs I could have played on this podcast, but I wanted to play my all-time favorite Alicia Keys songs. And the ones you heard today so far, and the ones that we're going to end the podcast with are my all-time favorite Alicia Keys songs. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to play an interview with Drake. And Drake is going to talk about working with Alicia Keys. And ladies and gentlemen, I know that I've been the biggest critic of Drake. I have ripped Drake up many a time throughout my social media posts and on his podcasts. But God damn it, Drake, in my opinion, helped co-write the greatest song of Alicia Keys' entire discography. 
We're going to listen to Drake. We're going to hear what I consider is the greatest song in Alicia Keys' discography. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about the genius of the song, the genius of the video, and what inspired the music video, and the transition in Alicia Keys' life that's, that was about to happen on the other side. Talk about the Alicia Keys collaboration that you have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, how did that come about? Um, Alicia Keys, you know, they, they reached out, and, um, and she, you know, said that she really uh, wanted me to do something on a project, but she, she wanted me to do me, not do an Alicia Keys record. And, man, she gave me, like, one of the best studio experiences in my life. Like, I came in there, and, and instead of being like, all right, here's the beat, get to work, she was just like, play me a favorite song. And let's battle. Like, let's battle. You play me your favorite. I go one for one. You play me a record. I play a record. Like, everybody was in the studio. We start playing records. And, you know, we had been. Uh, she doesn't drink. I, 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 we were drinking, and it was like it was like turned into like this like heated party. Like we were all just like loving music, you know. And then, like it almost like the transition from great music to making a song like didn't even. No one even noticed it, but she just started playing the keys, and I just started writing melodies, and, and we came up with the song, I think, that like, could be a really good record for her, a song called Unthinkable. And, uh, and yeah, you know, I wrote most of the record, and uh, she produced it with um, Crucial and Forty, my producer. Um, but, you know, it was a collaborative record, like, everybody did their thing. It's like, you know, one of the best moments of my career. I love that song. We listen to it like nonstop. I deserve it, 
can't take it I was wondering maybe Could I make you my baby If we do the unthinkable Would it make us look crazy If you ask me, I'm ready Shout out to Aubrey Drake Graham for helping write what, in my opinion, is my number one ballad of the last 15 years. Now, um, Adorn by Miguel is close. I love um, Seven Street is, um, 
what was that great palette? What's that song by Seven Streeter? Oh man, um, shit, fuck, ladies and gentlemen, I apologize, but the OG Rob Silver has a tendency to forget recently, and um, I don't know. I think I might need to see a doctor about my uh <laughs> lapses in memory but the song i'm talking about is before i do my favorite ballads of the 2010s unthinkable adorn before i do uh what's that uh leon bridges song beyond by leon bridges and while we're young by Janae Aiko. Those are songs to me that are timeless ballads that last forever and a day. Um, those are my uh, favorite ballads of the last, it's over 10 years now, going on 12 years. Just beautiful ballads, beautiful ballads and unthinkable. And I don't know how much input Drake had in putting together what was the song because I mentioned how the greatest songs in an artist's catalog, music catalog are the autobiographical ones and this is crazy. Drake, Kerry Brothers, and Alicia Keys wrote this song together. They wrote this song together, right? But the song is not about Carrie and Alicia because when Carrie and Alicia broke up was during the midst of this album, The Element of Freedom. And it was during this album, The Element of Freedom, that Alicia Keys worked with Swiss Beats and fell in love with Swiss Beats. And after the album was released, she was pregnant with her first child by Swiss Beats. This was even before they had gotten married. The, Divorce hadn't happened yet between Swiss and his first wife. Now, I'm not blaming Alicia, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just citing what was going on in her personal life at the time. The Element of Freedom, this album, was a transition from a professional and personal relationship that she had with Kerry Brothers for over a decade to a professional relationship she would have with Swiss Beats up, up and per, per, personal. So she transferred her love and companionship and partnership in business and music from Kerry Brothers to Swiss Beats. I guess Alicia, when she loves, she loves hard and she loves with all her heart and everything she puts into her music, she puts into that same man she's dealing with, with the music. So, um, you know what? As long as she's happy because her music has made me happy. Her music was, for many years, the soundtrack of my life from 2001 to 2013. Now, in the last 10 years, there's not a single Alicia Keys song that came out after Girl Is On Fire album. This Girl, this girl Is On Fire album. The first album she did without Kerry Brothers and exclusively with swiss beats i'll talk more about that 
on the next segment, which will be the final segment of this podcast. The Unthinkable video was a phenomenal video. What was the young actor's name that was the love interest? Don Michael Paul, I believe his name was. No, not Don Michael Paul. What was his name? Um, uh, something Murray. Something Murray. Uh, something Murray. Was it Don? I, I forgot. I know his last name is Murray because I remember when the video came out. Is he related to Bill Murray? I don't know. Anyway, the music video is paying homage. Once again, Alicia Keys, with her creativity when it comes to her music videos, was paying homage to a Bronx tale. In the video, they go back and forth from like um, the Deep South to today's uh, modern world. So the video is shot black and white and in color. And in both and in both black and white and color, Alicia Keys is this young black teenage woman who falls in love with a white man played by Murray. Forgot his first two names. I apologize. And he gets into a fight with Alicia Keys' brother. Like in A Bronx Tale, when the young Italian-American boy gets into a fight with his black girlfriend's brother. You see the same thing happening in the music video. And you see the star-crossed lovers, like in A Bronx Tale, in Unthinkable. And it's a great song. I mean, it's an amazing, flawless five-mic ballad. Now, I always think she would, she's saying, I was wondering maybe if I give you a baby. No, it's if I make you my baby. Oh, if I, if you make me my, but not, I always thought when I first heard the song until this day, I'm thinking she says, can I make you a baby? <laughs> and I was like, you know, uh, Kerry Brothers and, Drake are writing a song with Alicia and soon after matter of fact when this song is released in early 2010 she had already had her first child things come full circle ladies and gentlemen huh this was an amazing song man I've played this song so many times I've never gotten tired of unthinkable I'm ready it's an amazing song the music video is beautifully done Beautiful, uh, beautiful cinema, cinematography. Um, they show how things really haven't changed, how back in the Deep South, 1950s, 1960s, because you have the white storekeeper looking at the two, the interracial couple uh, flirting with each other, and she's mad, and then they, they fast forward to the 2000s, and you see the storekeeper looking at the colored version, not the color that's, color being black people but the colorized version of the video of a light-skinned black woman talking to a young white man young white teenager and the same look in the cashier's eyes like you know they shouldn't be talking to each other what's this what, what, what's this what's going on here and of course the rivalry between the white side of town white side of town in which alicia's boyfriend is there and 
the black side of town in which her brother is daring the conflict between the brother and Alicia's love interest and Alicia having to pick sides. Whose side is she on? Is she on her brother's side, which is her people? Or is she on the side of the man she's in love with? And the music video ends with her love interest, Chad Michael Murray, I believe is his name. Chad Michael Murray, I could be wrong. Chad Michael Murray, I believe, knocking on her door at the end. She opens the door and the video ends with them looking at each other and the pain in each other's eyes. It's masterfully done. And we don't have music videos like that anymore, ladies and gentlemen. The art of the music video is dead. It's gone. It's as dead as disco. That era has long since surpassed. We're in an era of hideous music. But like I said, there's a lot of great young R&B soul acts out there. You just got to do the search. You know about the Scissors and the Seven Streeters. You know about her um, Solange Knowles. You you know about them. Um, there's so many out there. I, you know about Janae Iko. Um, Annie, um, what's her name? Miss Lennox. Um, Lord knows. I, I, ladies and gentlemen, I am really fucking people's names up today. Right? Summer Walker. You have so many great young artists out there, but radio is not supporting these young black R&B soul artists. And it's a damn shame. Alicia Keys was in the last era of radio supporting young black artists. And she was at the top of the food chain alongside Beyonce, Rihanna, later on Neo. Of course, Usher is a contemporary of Alicia Keys. And then later on, Keisha Cole. That's that uh, Sierra, that Chris Brown towards the end. That's the end of great R&B mainstream soul music. There's a lot of great music out there, ladies and gentlemen. You just got to search it. Maybe one day on the Legends of Sports and Music, I'll do a pod highlighting some of the great artists that are out today. Ladies and gentlemen, I had a great time once again talking about one of my all-time favorite singers. I've seen Alicia Keys in concert, I believe, seven times. All seven times were memorable. She gives a great show. I haven't seen her in almost 12 years now. Uh, 2012, no, I'm sorry, 2013. So it's been over 10 years. Was the last time I saw her in concert, April of 2013. Um, I could have seen her this year, but I was busy taking care of my mom, working, and of course, in a in a brand new relationship. But uh, I think next time she tours, that I'll go ahead and go see her. And I'm looking forward to hearing all oldies. I'm not into the stuff she's made the last 10 years but i do wish she'd do an entire album with kanye because the song she did with kanye last year with fivio foreign right that's a great song kanye and alicia keys whenever they have worked together they've put in magic unbreakable the song that i just mentioned and of course you don't know my name i'm hoping one day we could see an entire alicia keys kanye west album you know swiss Hubby, take a back seat, you know, because I'm going to be honest with you, Swiss. You're not the right 
producer for, 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 for Alicia. Y'all two do not have chemistry like her and Kanye had, and of course, like her and her former lover, Kerry Crucial Brothers had. Swiss, you're a great father, and you're a loving husband, and your wife loves you. But Swiss, make an executive decision. Your wife is too talented to continue to put out mediocre mid-work after mid-work, mid-album after mid-album. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Once again, happy holidays to everybody out there. Next week, our second annual Christmas tribute podcast. Um, I have brand new Christmas voice notes from new listeners, as well as some great Christmas music, great stories by the listeners. And once again, the OG Rob Sybil will give you a couple of personal Christmas stories of my own. For those of you who want to know what that podcast is going to look like, look like, check the archives and listen to the first annual Christmas podcast that's out on the Legends of Sports and Music, out on the platform you're listening to. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a memorable, memorable episode. It's an episode that will make you smile, that will warm your heart, because every single listener gave, gave us a memory that we will cherish forever and a day. We've got one more interview to play, um, Alicia Keys on The View, then Alicia Keys singing Try Sleeping With a Broken Heart, and an incredible duet. Everything comes full circle, ladies and gentlemen. I started the podcast talking about, and Alicia Keys in an interview talking about her first tour in which she was the opening act for, for Maxwell in 2001. Well, I end the podcast with a song that she did with Maxwell, a duet, an incredible duet called The Fire We Make. Ladies and gentlemen, until next week when we do the second annual Christmas Tribute Podcast, happy holidays to everybody. Continue blessed and be a blessing. Triple threat, this girl. Yeah. Talented, beautiful, smart, and nice. Four threats. Four Thank threat. you. I but the last time that. you were here, you co-hosted with us. Remember? I did. That was fun. Yeah, we had a good time with Maybe you. We should do it again. Uh, we would love to have you. We, you got to get pregnant. Oh, what about working? I'll work on that. <laughs> now that I have my new PJs. You have been nominated. You you have gotten over. You uh, said five uh, American Music Award nominations. Yeah. Eleven Grammys. Eleven right? Grammys. Are we Can counting right? Yes, we are counting right. <laughs> Congratulations to you. How, you. I mean, how does it feel to have this kind of success on your own terms? Mm, it feels very, uh, I feel very blessed. It feels very liberating and strong. And I feel very excited to be encouraged to constantly be blaze my own path mm -hmm. and encourage others to blaze their own path. Which you seem to have known when you were five years old. Thank you. Um, you know, my mother's a pretty strong-minded woman, mm -hmm. and so I think her influence yes. has always been very, very much a part of me. A part of me. Yeah. But, but, but I, I re remember reading that you, at five years old, you knew you wanted to be in the business of music. I knew I wanted to sing, for sure. Uh -huh. I did. I dreamed about it. I, I was in, I was Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz uh -huh. in kindergarten, and... It was on after that. After it was that. on. <laughs> with, with this album, I heard you took a different approach to making it. What was that? I really just, um, 
I started so young that every time I got into the studio with somebody, I always had to be very clear about my thoughts and my ideas or else they would kind of disregard me in some ways. And so this time I took a, a different approach to making the music. I allowed it to come to me. I, I came into the studio with absolutely no ideas oh. and just allowed it to come depending on who I was working with or how I felt that day. And I found that that really led me to a, a place that was wide open with mm. endless possibilities. So that's why this music is some of my People favorite. truly respect to. I mean, there are so many artists who they say, you know, conform to whatever is happening mm -hmm. at the moment, and you just, you don't, and you just have done your own thing. I think they really, when people are applauding you, it's because they so respect you Thank as you. an artist. And, um, and you know, it's, so, it's, it's really inspirational because when you first came out, people didn't know what, the studios, when you were trying to get your record deal, they didn't know what to do with your music. It didn't fit into any type of category. Oh, no, mm -hmm. they had no idea. They were like, um... Well, maybe if you put on a dress, that'll fix it. Yeah, they always throw the dress out. <laughs> <laughs> so, I put a dress to anything. I really I, think about well, it. Well, you know. Yeah. Just all the crazy. Now, I understand that you recorded the theme song for the new James Bond yeah. movie. What's it called? Uh, the Another Quantum Way to of Die. Solace. Yes. Is the name of the film? There you are. And wow. the song is called Another Way to Die with Jack White from the White Stripes. It's totally a mixture of rock and soul. Oh, wow. Yeah, I love beautiful. it. It's so much fun. And the movie's great. Well, yeah. could you see yourself as the next Bond girl? As long as I didn't have to roll around in the bed with Bond. But I would like to be a stronger, you know. Yes. I, I love the sex appeal, and, and the, but I like the strength. You want to be, you strong, be girls, strong girls have sex, what too. You wanna... <laughs> no, I, and, I, and me as well. You want to be, but, but you wanna I, be the villain. You I need like, to be a villain, because then you can be, be. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, because. I just don't want to be the passive one that kind of just ends up rolling around and becoming gold, and then I'm out of there. You know what I mean? I don't want to be that one. <laughs> Alicia, the movie The Secret Life of Bees, you know, it, it, we, we always have to audition for things. I always got to go for auditions. You didn't have to audition for this movie. Why not? Yes, but I had to beg and grovel. Okay. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> Did you? Did well, you? what happened was I just really loved the book so much, and I fell mm -hmm. in love with it. So from even before they got a chance to start putting it together, I, I said, I really want to be a part of this. So when they, it finally came together with Gina as the director and writer, and, and I just said, you know, I was, I was really persistent mm -hmm. about yeah. really wanting to be a part of something I felt would be historic. That is a very good book. I read the book. Yeah, I love great. that book. And the movie's amazing. You, so you, you have to learn the cello? You learned to... Was it your idea? I mean, you had to learn the cello to be in it, right? right. I had to learn the cello. June that? Boatwright, she plays the cello. Mm -hmm. And um, they were like, oh, you can just play the cello, right? You can play the piano, so you can play the cello. And actually, it was definitely easier because of my musicianship. I was able to pick it up, but it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. That fingering it is tough. It was hard, and they kept switching the songs on me. I was like, wait a minute. I can only learn one song at a time. Couldn't you fake it? You know, like some movies, no, they do to pretend no, to play. No, it wouldn't no, be able to know. You look wrong. Okay. Now, tomorrow night, <laughs> Alicia, tomorrow night you are hosting a very, very special event, which yes. is your fifth annual Black Ball to Benefit, your charity. Can you yes. tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I'm so excited about it. It is tomorrow night. Keep a Child Alive is my organization, and we provide the antiretroviral medicine for children and families with AIDS, especially in places like Africa who wouldn't be able to afford it. So our Black Ball is our annual fundraiser, and it is an incredible inspiring magnificent night it's hosted by myself and Iman and it's very fantastic the I'm able to bring together a whole group of people um, to perform and, and probably that would never be on stage with me before before I've been 
Golden Stage with Bono and David Bowie and Sheryl Crow and Gwen Stefani. We're honoring Queen Latifah tomorrow night. Oh, it's an incredible wow. event. So if you are in New York, the Hammerstein Ballroom and KeepAShotAlive.org. Come. And you also, you, you work with a group of children and they're called the Children of Agape. Yes. Now, their story is very important. I love their story, but I want you to tell people about them and who they are. The Children of Agape are an amazing, inspiring group of young children who I actually met um, during one of the black balls. We brought them in. We met them because they, they, they're a part of the Agape. It's an Agape orphanage, mm -hmm. and they live there, and the orphanage burnt down. So on top of all the other struggles that they go through, many of them are orphaned because of AIDS, and, um, but they lost their home and so we really wanted to do something for them we were able to bring them in and there they sing they have these beautiful voices and because of people who are generous like you and keep a child alive and you we were able to rebuild their orphanage in a brand new way they have a home they have a place to live and sing and learn and we're very very proud of them. yeah thank you you're not just you're not just the entertainment you walk the walk you talk the talk and you you use your celebrity to do things as you and uh, <laughs> don't go anywhere alicia keys will be back singing her oh, latest yeah. hit superwoman and we'll be right back with private practice star amy
show to perform one of her biggest hits, Empire State of Mind Part 2. We're going to be right back. Get me. 